worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. And away we go with another edition of the Sports Cage. And wherever you're listening, however you're listening on this hump day, this Wednesday, corner of 12th and Rose in downtown Regina, we thank you for following along. We know you have choices and you're choosing us, and we do appreciate it. Across the board for me is our uh, operator and our sports guy, backup sports guy, or other sports guy, Blaine Wyland, and we'll incorporate him in as the show goes along. Let's get to some of the stories, and it's been a busy day already. Blue Jays, oh wow, the Toronto Blue Jays, they smacked the Chicago White Sox. I think I saw the score was 8 to nothing. Bo Bichette had three ribbies, including a homer. You say Kikuchi, eight strikeouts and no runs in five and two-thirds innings. Uh, he's quickly becoming their ace there, and how about the pathetic, the pathetic White Sox? They had just 11 hits in three games in Toronto and only two runs. That was just pathetic. The pale hose, the pale socks. Yeah, they're terrible. They are bad. And God, they should be good. Under that or under that line of thinking there, my Padres play the Cubs tonight, okay? (laughs) Okay. Okay? My Padres have Fernando Tatis, they have Manny Machado, they have Juan Soto, the X-Man, Xavier Bogarts, Cronenworth, They've been shut out five times in the last 15 games. Now, as bad as they are, they're still thankfully in the mix in the uh, in the uh, NL West as they uh, are 12 and 13 and the other teams aren't great, like the Dodgers haven't yeah. been off the great start. So I think the Padres will change it around, but come on, give me a break. Yeah, it's kind of, and it's hard to get these sample size, especially a month out, you know, like, is this the real Padre team we're going to see? You know, how many times over, over the rest of the season, how many times are they going to be shut out? You know, it's such a small sample size, and I think we kind of overanalyze the first month of baseball because it's the first month yeah. of the year. I'm no expert, so I'm not analyzing it, but I'm thinking, come on, nowhere, I don't care if it's the first month, the middle month, the last month, Blake. There's no way that that lineup, and and Tatis just got there, but Soto is swinging the bat like Garth Orgwood right now. Like, it's terrible. Soto's doing nothing. Yeah, especially, you know, you think this year, after you think, you know, last year, the adjustment coming over Washington maybe expected, but you think this year he would pick and it up. And it's his money year. Yeah. He, he wants to get some cash. He yeah. wants to cash in after this year. Hey, uh, bad news for the Seattle Mariners who are into Toronto coming up on Friday as the Jays have uh, Thursday off after sweeping away the uh, pale hose, as uh, Blaine put it. Robbie Ray, the former Jay, his season season is over after one start. The Mariners lefty will undergo flexor tendon repair surgery and miss the remainder of the season. So is that Tommy John? Is that what he's going to no. have? Is something different? No, because Tommy John's UCL. Okay. UCL okay. ligament. Okay, so he is... Uh, he has been placed on the injured reserve. It's his 10th big league season in the second year of a five-year $115 million deal. So bad news for the Mariners who ended that terribly long playoff drought last year, beating the Toronto Blue Jays when they got there. Okay, uh, now, 
If this were, if something like this were to happen to Giannis Antetokounmpo or some softest puppy poo, uh, puppy poo NBA player, they would be out for 14 weeks. Okay, yesterday in the NHL, not one but two guys took a puck off the face that ended up in the net. In the Carolina Islanders game, Sebastian Ajo was in front of his own net, and the puck went off his face. And in midair, the Islander guy bats it out of the air in for a goal. So that didn't work out so well for Ajo. He stayed in the game, and he is, his face looked like a mash unit. He came back and scored a goal, actually, in the game. They lost 3-2 to the Islanders, yeah. who stay alive. So we were both wrong there. Yeah. We thought Carolina would finish the Islanders off. And then Zach Hyman, who had been doing nothing till uh, the second last game, game number four, he scores a goal uh, in overtime to give the Oilers a victory. Uh, he's on the power play with the Oilers, vaunted power play, which is like 60% in the playoffs. It's just deadly. Like a de- If you take a penalty, you're dead against the Oilers. Yeah. Uh, Bouchard slaps one, and thankfully for Hyman, it was a flutter puck. Like If it would have been a Bouch bomb, probably would have broke his face. Still, it flutters in, goes off his, I guess it would be his uh, left cheek and into the net, <laughs> right cheek and into the net, and it's a goal. And uh, Zach Hyman has a goal off the cheek, stays in the game, wasn't cut, fortunately. Looked maybe a lot worse than it was. But if that happens in the NBA, like if somebody takes an elbow or something, they're not coming back for 14 years. I know. It's what we love about the uh, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. It's that, yeah. that nature of getting hurt, but yeah. coming back in in that same game. If I was to ask you who's the best goalie in the NHL, who would you say off the top of your head? I've like, got mine. Like right now? Right now, who's the best goalie in the NHL? Not stats. Just if you had to win one game, who's your goalie? Uh, whew, you put me on the spot. I there. did. Don't um, say Markstrom because that wouldn't be the right answer. <laughs> Don't say Skinner because he's giving up fourteen foot rebounds right now. Honestly, I'd probably go with based off, and I'm kind of going off of last year a little bit. Jake Ottinger. Yep. Yeah, boom. Absolutely. You're right on the same page as me. I think he's the new Carey Price. He made 27 saves yesterday for the first shutout of the playoffs. Imagine that nine games in or nine nights into the playoffs. That was the first shutout we had in these Stanley Cup playoffs. And if uh, by chance if Florida beats uh, Boston, I believe that every series will go into at least six games in the first round. Yeah, so Florida I mean, ain't beating Boston tonight. You no, think so? I, no. I don't. I can't. See, no. I can't see it. Hey, uh, Jets forward Mark Shifley still dealing with an upper body injury. He won't be in the game five on Thursday. They get an extra game. He will be around for game six, maybe. Bonus said. So stay tuned. Seattle's at Colorado tonight in the other game. Is now we get into some off balance scheduling because of venues and all that mm-hmm. stuff availability. So Seattle uh, coming off that big win with Jordan Eberle scoring the game winning goal. They won't have Kale McCarr. Will the Avs? He's out with that one game suspension. Um, um, Knicks at Cleveland, Lakers at Memphis, Miami at Milwaukee, New York, L.A., and Miami all up three games to one. So there you go there. We already mentioned Major League Baseball. You sports football, we never got to this yesterday. The Rams wrap up their training camp with an exhibition game here against the Manitoba Bisons on... Um, uh, August 24th, and then they open the season here against Mason Nias, the new quarterbacks coach of the UBC Thunderbirds, as the UBC Thunderbirds come here to take on the University of Regina Rams, and then they go for week two already up in Saskatoon to take on the Huskies. So Quite the start to the season, a playoff rematch to start the season, then you go up uh, the face of the Huskies. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, and the Huskies, of course, two-time Hardy Cup champions. And... um 
In a show of solidarity with the players and coaching staff of Simon Fraser University, the 11 football-only members of the SFU Sports Hall of Fame have collectively announced they're walking out of their enshrinement. I don't wish to be affiliated with or have my prior football career bring excellence to a university that no longer recognizes collegiate football as a worthwhile entity or endeavor for young Amateur athletes throughout BC. That's from Louis Pisaglia. And the list of SFU alum that are out of the hall now, they don't want to be included for football players, that is. Sean Millington, Glenn Jackson, also a couple of former BC lines. Terry Bailey, Doug Brown, Dave Cutler, the former Eskimos kicker, Wayne Holm, Rickhouse, Neil McKinley, and Rob McLaren, and Orville Lee, the former Ottawa and Saskatchewan running back. So that's interesting. And the draft goes down tomorrow. In Kansas City, I believe. Yep. And Farhan Lalji will join us after 4 o'clock from Kansas City. Uh, Panthers coach Frank Reich says he and the GM have agreed on which quarterback the team will take with the number one pick in the NFL draft, but they won't make the announcement. They won't let anybody know till they call out his name uh, or maybe call him right before. Panthers are choosing between Bryce Young of Alabama, the odds-on favorite, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, Kentucky's Will Levis, and Florida's Anthony Richardson. Now, Levis, we didn't talk about this yesterday. Levis has been telling people that he is going to be the first overall pick because the Panthers have told him so. So his betting odds went from like fourth to like second yesterday. Uh, Well, that was a Reddit post because Levis did say yesterday, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Oh, okay. So I think that... um, Maybe, is that true or is he backtracking maybe? Well... I think it's because the whole his odds just shot up so yeah. much because and part of it's just because everyone saw that post and then immediately yeah. people start putting bets on so yeah. that's why his odds went up so I, I think that's part of it I think there's a lot of smoke comes to in terms of Levis going number one yeah I'd be shocked if he goes number two even okay so like and and come on man the the like. I can't. Can you think of too many worse places to have a draft than Kansas City, I don't know. Cleveland, I don't Detroit, know. Kansas, Kansas City barbecue? It's a Indianapolis. Like there aren't many. Like Kansas City doesn't exact. I know they're the champs, but it doesn't exactly scream. Oh, I can't wait to get drafted in Kansas City. No, but I think it's the whole fan base, and especially I think as Arrowhead at one time had the uh, claim of being the loudest uh, fan base. So in the, the NFL is doing it right, though. They're 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 making money even with the draft, getting these uh, cities to bid on the draft. So that's very interesting. Hey, coming up, a big announcement in Calgary yesterday about Blaine's Flames getting a new rink of. What about the Stamps? Are they next in line? We'll talk to their radio voice, Mark Steven, next here on the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM. And welcome back to the show here, uh, live from the corner of 12th and Rose in downtown Regina. And uh, we're going to continue our football talk here on the show with one of my broadcasting colleagues in Calgary, longtime voice of the Calgary Stampeders in QR77. That would be our friend, Mark Steven. How are you, Mark? 
Oh, good. Just uh, waiting for the calendar to turn to May, which is very close. And then away we go with the uh, start of training camp, the draft, and everything else that signifies the start of a CFL season. Well, in the media world, there aren't a lot of great media days lately. It seems with people getting fired left and right and, you know, a broadcast crew's not going on the road for uh, games and stuff like that. So it's a great news day when you can say, hey, the Calgary Stampeders extend their deal with your radio station to continue to cover the, the team. Yeah, for three more years, which uh, continues a tradition of being the voice of the Stampeders since 1992, which is a remarkable achievement, i got to say, very exciting. And uh, you're right, uh, i got to say, the media landscape is changing, not always for the better, I might add. But uh, i got to say this, that uh, our station, our people have uh, really not touched football. They've had a steadfast commitment to it and uh, put the resources behind it. So uh, here we are for another three, day, uh, three years uh, through 2025. Do you remember your first broadcast, Mark Stephen? Yes, it was. It was uh, against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with Jim Daly as the coach. So there you go. And it was a preseason game at McMahon Stadium. So I remember that. And the first regular season game was in Regina uh, a couple weeks later. And the uh, funny part about that game is uh, it was one of the greatest plays in Stampeder history that took place during that game when Jeff Garcia found a Terry Vaughn for a 104-yard touchdown. That's one of the longest in team history and, uh, you know, very few opportunities to break that record because it's such a long pass and catch combination. Yeah, I remember that. Mark Steven, longtime voice of the Calgary Stampeders, joining us here on the Western Pizza Hotline. What's your most memorable uh, game or play in the booth? Uh, well, I guess we had the chance to do some great cups, although uh, sometimes they don't give it to the host uh, uh, station in the respective market. So there's been a lot of good ones. I'd say the 2014 West Final when uh, John Cornish had a long, big run. That was very exciting as well. And, uh, you know, I have had broadcast some great cups, some wins, some losses. And so there's been quite a few. I can't say one is particularly better than the other, but, uh, you know, I've got a lot of choices, fortunately, to uh, draw from when we decide which is the best game lots of good ones for sure absolutely uh mark you've been in that chair for a while how do you feel about the state of the league at this point well, I'm, overall, I don't know if it's improved. I don't know if it's gone backwards or anything. Uh, I would say it's in pretty good shape, all things considered. Uh, you know, I would like to think uh, that the teams like the Stampeders are going to follow the lead of uh, BC and uh, put a few more people in the building this year. They're working very hard at it. Uh, I don't see, uh, you know, any real soft spots. I hope uh, Montreal's got everything organized and all pulled together. That's probably the only one team that's been a little wobbly of late. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with the way things are, as is always the case there are some franchises doing better than another and uh, you know we'll just uh, watch it unfold but you uh, know i'm not uh, too worried uh, about it i don't think it's improved uh, from a couple of years ago but i don't think it's gone backwards either your thoughts on the new calgary uh, hockey rink and convention center and that uh, that uh, project well, very exciting, uh, big, big moment. It's something that's been discussed and uh, batted around for a long time to replace a very aging saddle dome. It's uh, going to be right by the saddle dome. I mean, just feet away from the current saddle dome. Let's hope it all gets together. It's not strictly a home of the flames. There's a lot of other uh, projects around it, uh, doing different things to the stampede grounds, which are right there as well, and some different infrastructure things. And they've taken great pains to call it an event center as opposed to an arena. That's not an accident at all. So, you know what? It's very exciting, and uh, it's badly needed, and it'll help uh, upgrade a part of the city that's been 
kind of left to its own vices a little bit, kind of ignored for a long time. So this will be a great civic rejuvenation project. There's a lot of infrastructure around it, and that's not strictly a hockey arena. I don't hate McMahon Stadium. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I certainly think it's uh, well-kept for as old as it is, and I like the area it's in. I like the fact it's kind of sunken down there in the parking lot and everything like that. So I'm not negative towards it that way. But any chance the Stampeders could get something new or refurbished or something like that? I know they're blocking off seats at the top just to make it more intimate. First of all, yeah, I agree. That's a good idea. Just to deal with what your market is and uh, uh, just, you know, deal with the reality that uh, you want to make it as good as possible of an experience. As far as the new stadium goes, the answer is no. It's really a project uh, that the University of Calgary would have to spearhead because it's on their land. And for reasons known only to them, they just want to do just routine and uh, upgrading maintenance. And that's it. They don't really want to dive in and, uh, you know, spend uh, money. I mean, there's money waiting right there. It's an opportunity cost with some very valuable land surrounding it. So uh, the answer is no. There's not really a a drive for it. And they would have to start with the University of Calgary and their Board of Governors who just don't seem to want to touch the thing. Yeah, and so, Mark, I think that does keep people away from the stadium, don't you? Yes, it is. Uh, it's a, it is an excuse. I don't know if it's an excuse or just reality. It's a, it's an older building. I mean, I think the sight lines between the goal lines actually are really good. It's really well designed. It was a football first stadium, but where the problem is, is a lot of the seats are benches. And I mean, that era is gone that people just come and want to sit on a bench. Uh, number two, when you go into the concourse for, uh, you know, something at the concessions or go to the washroom, it is horribly cramped and uh, just really uncomfortable. And it, it just looks like what it is, an aged structure when you go in there. So that's the problem. Uh, you know, they do the best. Uh, they keep it up to date. Uh, you know, but uh, its time has arrived. But uh, somebody's got to decide that. Somebody in authority's got to decide that. Speaking of rebuilding, how about what the Stampeders did in a free agency in this offseason through your eyes? Well, I'm pretty comfortable with what they did. They certainly lost some uh, key players. Uh, you know, Sean Lemon moved on. Jameer Thurman moved on. Uh, Flo Ormalad uh, went to Toronto. But I think the Stampeders did pretty well to patch over those uh, situations where James Vodders came back from the uh, NFL. And they made a very uh, good signing, bringing Julian House there over from the Hamilton Tiger Cats to take another end of position there. Uh, one guy that I'm looking forward to seeing, he's like really a free agent. He was a draft pick in 20. 20- 20 a big tall receiver rice and john six foot seven so see how he fits into the picture but uh, have the stampeders uh, markedly improved i'm not sure about that but I, I don't either believe that they've taken any steps back at least serious ones i guess we'll find out soon enough but uh, i think they're in pretty good shape heading into camp but uh, we'll watch for some of the battles that uh, inevitably will emerge where do you think they go in the draft what's their uh, mentality heading into may 2nd's draft Sort of, they got the number four pick uh, right off the bat. That was a flip with Hamilton in the Bo Levi Mitchell trade. My sense is uh, they probably could use a little help on the defensive line, uh, some interior help there, but I don't think there's any yawning needs that they have. I mean, you know, they could always go with some of the uh, linemen over there. That's a traditional Canadian thing, but my sense is they'll uh, maybe look for a lineman inside uh, or maybe a receiver. There's a few guys they kind of have their eyes on right now but uh, my sense is uh, maybe a little more towards the line but uh, we'll see what happens and they have through the years been uh, uh, 
one of the teams that's been active on a trade deadline day or at least on draft day to make trades. So we'll see what happens there. But that's that's kind of where I sense they're going to go at four. And lastly, uh, let's uh, wrap up talking about the Flames. What do you make of what's going to go on there in terms of GM, the Sutter stay or go? Well, first of all, there's a lot of unhappiness in the air, I can tell you that, and it's exacerbated by watching, you know, the excitement in places like Winnipeg and Edmonton. You know, uh, Daryl Sutter, from what I understand, received some very negative reviews in the exit meetings. That's got to play into the hands of whoever the next general manager is going to be. Ed Conroy is the favorite, uh, you know, because he's in Colonel right now, and maybe he can work with Daryl Sutter. But i got to tell you, if you know, uh, ownership's going to have to decide that, these negative reviews, how serious they are, because you can't do everything the players want, but when there's a steady stream of uh, negative comments, you got to decide what kind of impact that has on the mood and the morale surrounding the team. So uh, a lot of uncertainty around here right now because this is a season that nobody saw coming, and uh, here they are on the outside looking in with probably more questions at the end of the season than they had at the start of the season. Well, one of the high priests of play-by-play in the CFL, Mark Steven, he's going to be around for another three years at least as they sign a new deal there between the radio station and the stamps. Thanks for your time, Mark. Look forward to seeing you during the season. Yeah, three meetings this year, two in Calgary, one in Regina, so we'll look forward to seeing how the green machine is retooled for 2023 as well. It's going to be fun. Can't believe training camp's around the corner and looking forward to it. Time now for your sports ticker. We'll tell you the Blue Jays whip the White Sox at Rogers Center 8 to nothing. White Sox 2 Runs and 11 hits in three games there in Toronto. Baltimore beat Boston 6-2. Cincinnati down Texas 5-3. Arizona's leading Kansas City 2-0 in the top of the seventh. The Guardians over the Rockies 4-1. And we also saw uh, Milwaukee beat the lowly Tigers 6-2. NHL tonight, a couple of games. One series can end. Boston's at Florida, up three games to one. And it's uh, Colorado entertaining Seattle. That series tied at two apiece. No Kale McCarr for the Avs, he's out after serving, or because he's serving a one-game suspension after that hit on Jared McCann, who has uh, got got his bell rung off the boards in the glass, courtesy of Kale McCarr. And congratulations, reluctantly, but we have to acknowledge it, the Saskatoon Blades become just the third team in Western Hockey League history, first in Eastern Conference history, to rally from three games to none down to take on, or to beat the Red Deer Rebels 5-2 yesterday in Game 7, and four... Their reward, they play the Winnipeg Ice. (laughs) Lacrosse is one of Canada's official sports. Here's the latest from the cage on your Saskatchewan Rush. Well, on the Saskatchewan Rush Report today, we'll let you know the Rush are in Vegas to take on the Desert Dogs. The Rush enter the game at 7 and 10, 191 goals for. 200 against the Desert Dogs of Vegas are two games back in the standings at 5 and 12. They have scored just 167 goals this year, giving up 209. 167 goals, the second fewest, by the way, in the NLL. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM.
Time to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. Get it hot, get it fast at Western Pizza. Always love to pick up a pizza pie and watch some NHL hockey. You're in Edmonton, Eddie Steele. Uh, the Oilers have rebounded nicely after that high stick goal. You were one of the guys on Twitter. I was going back and forth with you, and you're like, hey, forget the rest, forget all this stuff, and just put it behind you and play hockey. And the Oilers have done that the last two games. Yeah, they've taken heed to my advice, man. So obviously this football player knows a little something about ice sports. But in all seriousness, yeah, having been in those shoes as a former player, of course there's going to be calls in a game that you don't like, but you can't go sit in the locker room after and blame a loss on the rest, blame a loss on a call. I've never really seen guys do that because the fact of the matter is, uh, you're responsible to play a full game, and you're in control of what you can control. And that's out of your control. And there are so many other opportunities throughout, especially the hockey game there, throughout that hockey game where guys could have showed up and made plays. Uh, McDavid, you know, mm-hmm. he needs to step up, I believe, and have more of an impact in which he has in the past game. But, yeah, it's uh, that's kind of the way it goes, man. I hate blaming refs because at the end of the day, it's on the players. The players had two goal leads early in the series. That's on them for blowing those leads. You can't blame anybody but the players. Mm -hmm. Eddie Steele, you're in Edmonton, as we talked about. Uh, How can we get back or channel some of that excitement back to the Elks? Does it come uh, down to simply winning and winning consistently there? I think that excitement is going to start to come back. Of course, winning solves everything. Uh, It really covers up a lot of blunders when you win. And uh, I think the Elks are going to start to do that. I, I am putting this down in stone. I guarantee that they will win a home game this year, first game <laughs> in three-plus years. But I, I really think they have a formula brewing here, man. Uh, typical CJ, he takes over. CJ being Chris Jones takes over uh, a club. Uh, starts to turn it a little bit in his first year. Going to have probably more success in his second year, just like he did with Edmonton when he took over in the past, just like he did with the Riders when he took over them. Uh, and I think you're going to see the Elks have some good improvements this year. And they went out and they did their thing in free agency. I yeah. think they made some really good additions. So that's going to be an awesome, exciting year. Let me ask you that, because they did spend a lot on receivers. They did last year with one guy in Kenny Lawler. Then they go get Stephen Dunbar Jr., the big fish, Geno Lewis. They got that the young kid, uh, Mitchell, that they found last year. And uh, they got Kyron Moore. But are you sold on Taylor Cornelius? Because it's like having a Ferrari, but if the guy can't drive a standard, then it's just a nice car on the driveway. So this is my perspective. I'm going to give it to you from two different angles. Uh, the first angle is, yeah, I'm sold solely on the fact that he has all these intangibles. Six six, big cannon arm, very athletic. You know, he can actually outrun linebackers in the open field because he's got that long stride. So you see those intangibles, and, uh, of course, that makes you salivate as a coach because any coach thinks they can mold and do something with that player. So I'm sold on that aspect. Here's the other side of it, though, that I've really forced myself to think about. These receivers, these big ticket free agent guys, of course they're coming for money. Uh, Everybody wants to get paid the top dollar. But you have to think beyond just one year. Because if you come for a top dollar, for example, we use Geno at 300K. If you come for 300K and you have a a crappy year because you got a dud of a quarterback who's not getting you the ball – well, you're not going to go and have another payday that next go-around once this one year is up. So if you want to make a big splash, sure. But if you're in it for longevity, you're going to look and see who your quarterback is. You're going to see who's getting you the ball. As a receiver, you run hundreds of routes a game, and you only get the ball maybe seven, eight times. So it's really frustrating. These guys I know 
look at who's throwing them the ball. And obviously they see something Cornelius for them to want to be flocking here. It's not all about the money. You have to think who's actually getting you the ball, the offense you're playing in. You really need to take that into account when you're making a decision in free agency. So I think these guys have, and they obviously see enough in Cornelius to want to come here. So it's pretty exciting in that aspect. Okay, we'll get to the drafts around the corner. I'll get to that in a second because uh, it's a big night in your life. A former Vanier Cup champ with the Bisons, Grey Cup champ with Edmonton, played with our Rough Riders too. Speaking of our Rough Riders, how do you think they did this offseason? What do you look forward or not look forward to what they're going to do this year? Well, it'll be interesting. You know, it all begins and ends, as we say, in the trenches. And we know uh, what a pitiful year it was last year, record-breaking year in terms of sacks given up. Uh, so that'll be really interesting. I think they've done some some good things in terms of some of the additions and bodies that they've actually brought in to compete on the O-line based on some of the research I've done on some players. Uh, Trevor Harris, I think he'll be a little more consistent there at quarterback play. Uh, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, you're going to get a couple of really high games, but you'll in terms of passing, you know, the 354-yard games. But you'll probably get a couple 180-yard games where he's just checking it down all game. So that's kind of what it is. But you'll have some more consistency at least. So hey, it's going to be interesting. I'm really curious to see how this rider season unfolds. In the West, it's just going to be, as always, competitive. BC, I think there's going to be some regression. Calgary, big question mark. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of I. You never like to say it's going to be a down year in Calgary because every time you do, it's not. But they didn't do a heck of a lot in free agency, um, and they lost quite a few guys. I'm interested, and and Jake Mayer's the wild card too. Yeah, exactly, and that's why I say question mark. Uh, I've been pretty high on Jake uh, thus far throughout his early career, but like you say, they didn't make a lot of splashes. It is not like they ever do. They're pretty good at finding homegrown mm-hmm. talent and just um, promoting guys up within their own system. But uh, there's a lot of turnover and just a lot of uh, – we're so used to the steadiness of Calgary and some of the names that have been there. And those names aren't there anymore. Uh, so it'll be interesting. And age, too. Uh, I think about this with Winnipeg. You have to think about age. These guys are all aging. You look at Winnipeg's O-line. I mean, Stanley Bryan, Hardrick, good players, but these guys are getting old now, too. And they're actually getting old at the same time together, which is the worst thing you want as a, as a GM with your football roster. So a lot of question marks in the West. Draft day for you. Do you remember it? How do you remember it? Yeah, I was a plug stick loser, ballsy. So I had all this hype, man. I was told I was going to be a first rounder. Um, actually, Edmonton called me up. Ed Hervey called me up the Thursday before the draft that happened on the Sunday that if you're there at seven overall, we're going to pick you. We're going to pick you. I had a lot of hype. Uh, my stock really rose. I started the CIS season that year as um, uh, the 17th-ranked prospect. And then mid-season, I was the 12th-ranked prospect. Then coming out of the uh, combine, I was the ninth-ranked prospect. So I was continuously going up the board. So with all that hype, um, <laughs> I had a couple of – Global was there. CTV was there at my house. Had a big draft party couple news stations uh probably 150 friends and family really was it was early on when the draft the first two rounds were just beginning to be shown on uh, Mm -hmm. tsn so i was expecting to see my name called uh in the first two rounds going across the tsn screen etc etc uh lo and behold uh, i didn't get picked in the first two rounds Uh, i was pretty pretty crushed hamilton called me up in the third round at 22nd uh i actually didn't handle the um 
handle that adversity as good as I should have. I was kind of pouty. I was kind of selfish, acting like a baby because I didn't get picked when I wanted to get picked. Uh, but it was the biggest blessing because Hamilton called me up. Uh, they drafted me 22nd overall. And uh, I always tell people, it's not where in the draft you get drafted. It's what team. Because I could have gotten drafted to Edmonton that year and it would not have been a fit. And I probably wouldn't have been in the league as long as I was. But Hamilton was a fit. I was able to learn and grow under some really good pros. And uh, my career was really able to flourish because of that. So it was pretty pretty sloppy the way I handled myself. But it all worked out really well for me in the end. It's very candid, Eddie. I appreciate that. You know, and the thing, too, with the CFL draft is, it does, like, if you drop from one to the third round, you might have a reason to be pouty in the NFL because you're losing millions. Here, you're not losing a lot of money. So, uh, in my opinion, as long as you get drafted, and maybe in some cases even a free agent's better because you can pick your team. Oh, that's just it. And we're not talking about big bucks. Now the coin is a little bit bigger for first and second rounders in the CFL. But, yeah, it's it's not big bucks. And like I said, man, where you go to is huge. You don't want to go to a roster that has a bunch of veterans that are, you know, eight spots deep at your position where you're going to be buried. You're never going to get a chance to, to get an opportunity on the field. Uh, the fit is everything. Kind of like everything in life, it's that fit. And uh, going to Hamilton was the best fit for me. And it's kind of cool because they drafted my dad, too. So I got to go play with the team that drafted my dad, keep it in the family. Going back to that young, big ego arrogance, though, uh, when I got drafted, Eddie Steele going to Hamilton, I thought I was going to run that town. Steele's coming to take over Steele Town. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> not, not how it works out. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a, it's a real eye-opener for not just Canadians, but Americans. Like, this is a real professional football league. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the best talent out there. And uh, I'm not saying this just to be all pro-CFL, but I've played with uh, NC2A, um, top first-team All-Americans, top All-Stars, conference All-Stars, some of the big dogs. And the difference between NFL and CFL is so fine. So in the NFL, you have your superstars. You have the Tyree Kills, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, the top of the top, the 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 household name franchise name guys but beyond that man the roster makeup between the nfl and cfl is not different Uh, it's a bunch of athletes fighting it out beyond that top two percent of athlete in the nfl the talent level is almost virtually identical in fact the cfl is even harder because you have to be more of a tweener and be able to play different types of positions you can't just be a 330-pound nose tackle when we play on second or first and second down. You have to be able to play and run all over the field and, in fact, be able to do multiple type of jobs because of the special teams aspect, too. So uh, it takes a certain type of athlete to play in the CFL. And overall, lastly, overall, I find our draft, the CFL draft, the Canadian portion anyway, uh, more so than any other league, it has a direct impact on the team that year. Like, it really does. Like, yeah, you'll get your first overall pick like Connor Bedard in hockey or, you know, big-name guy might be a quarterback or a receiver in the NFL. Same thing. Well, a lot of the guys don't even go to the draft in the NBA. They just come out of high school. Our league, in this draft, it, it, there's a lot of weighted importance with it. There is, and uh, there's a lot of weighted importance to the special teams aspect, especially the guys who are like your receivers and linebackers, those types of bodies. you got to be able to play, come in and play specials or else you're not even going to get a sniff at the roster because it's such a, a big factor of the CFL game. 
And uh, you're absolutely right. Like the importance of, of the roster in the draft, sorry, is huge because turnover, people don't think about the turnover with rosters, but Ballsy, the career average for pro football is three years. Yeah. So like there is so much turnover. So those draft picks, they're so important because those rosters change so much, so drastically, especially in the CFL because contracts the way they are, it's different and, and they're shorter. There's not as much guarantees. So yeah, those draft picks, you got to hit on them and you got to find ballers that can do multiple jobs because it is so important with these rosters and the way this league works. This guy's a baller in our uh, broadcast here during the season and uh, from time to time in the sports cage. Eddie Steele, thanks for your time, man. All right, Bozzi, you have a good one, man. We'll talk. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. And wherever you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. You can always get a hold of us. Our text line powered by the Capital Auto Group, 936-6262. You can weigh in. You can call that number locally if you want to talk some sports. Or 1-866-767-0620. I'm Michael Ball along with Blaine Wyland from our sports department who's filling in for Sean Kleisinger. I think he's going to a Chelsea soccer game today. I think I saw yeah, on Facebook. I see, yeah, I seen, yeah, I saw those, those pictures of the... Sold out. Yeah, he's pretty pumped. We'll maybe get a hold of him tomorrow, see if we can't uh, talk to him. We'll be live from the Regina Rams Sportsman's Dinner on the stage tomorrow. Uh, Trevor Harris will be there, the Riders quarterback. As he's in town, you're getting ready for uh, what's going to be hopefully a great season, but starting some personal appearance activities. Uh, we'll also have uh, the Rams and the pros. Jorgen Hughes, long snapper for the Regina Rams. Mitch Pickton, receiver. Well, long snapper for the Rams, now the Riders. Uh, Mitch Pickton, receiver for the Rams, now with the Rough Riders, of course. Uh, I think Theron Churchill is going to be on the stage. He's a former Ram lineman that won the Grey Cup with the Toronto Argonauts here. Didn't play in the game, but was obviously a part of it. And we'll also hear from Tavon Campbell, former Jacksonville Jaguar. Well, he is a Jacksonville Jaguar. He was with the uh, yeah, uh, former Charger. Former Charger, former Ryder, former Stampeder, mm-hmm. former Alouette. He's been everywhere. Jet. Mm-hmm. New York Jet. He's been around the National Football League. Hey, if you can run that fast, uh, they'll find a spot for you. That dude has the fastest 40 in a CFL combine. I think it was like 4-3-2 or yeah. something like that. Very, very fast. A couple of other sporting things to get to. We'll tell you the Blue Jays beat the White Sox 8 to nothing. Bo Bichette had a homer and two RBI singles. And Yusei Kikuchi on fire again. For him, anyway. Yeah. Eight strikeouts, five and two-thirds innings. The lefties quickly becoming their ace, the way it's going. I know you're gonna face. I know you're a Manoa guy. Well, but you know what? Manoa Actually, hasn't been off to a great. Gosman, I guess, is pretty. Yeah, good. That's, who I, that's who I'd say right now is there at the moment. You're gonna say, but I mean, it's always nice to have your number five pitcher like Kikuchi is pitching like right now, and you know, hopefully Barrios is kind of snapping, you know, back into it, a positive yeah. direction after early stumbles. And I think that's a guy who could really turn it around as a number four guy for them. But I like the rotation a lot. Jay's got a nice team, uh, and I love those baby blue unis. Oh yeah. Those oh. are nice. They should wear those more often, yep. in my opinion. Uh, I also like the uh, reconfigured Rogers Center. Yeah. Looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, it looks like... Especially in center field. It allows for guys to get to the ball more and have a chance to make some highlight reel home run saving catches there. And that backdrop, too, because it's always so boring at the, you know, that the yeah. empty window stadium. Yeah. And there's no seats, no fans, and yeah. a right field the same way yeah. with kind of the bullpens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to You're seeing You're going that. on the weekend. Are you going to be sitting in the drunk bullpen area where you throw <laughs> stuff at the pit? Nope, the other side of the stadium. Oh, that's good. Actually, you know, to be honest with you, because of their big TV deal, uh, 
and I know you don't have primo seats, but what you're going two games for like 110 bucks or yeah. something like that? Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, no. And where are you sitting? Like second level? Second level for the first one, upper deck for the last one. That's and behind home. home plate? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What else can we tell you about? Oh, this is funny. So um, I'm an Aaron Rodgers. I like Aaron Rodgers. Like when there's this whole vaccine, no vaccine, and people were saying he lied to his teammates. No, he didn't lie to anybody. The reporters were were wrong for not following up. Remember back in that whole vaccine thing, they asked him if he's been vaccinated, and he said he was immunized. He didn't say he was vaccinated. He said he was immunized. He didn't lie. They just never followed it up. And then he kind of, he does have that diva attitude I don't like, the darkness retreat and everything like this. And remember in the offseason, uh, Brian Gutekus, the uh, GM, said, I've been trying to get a hold of Aaron Rodgers, and I can't get a hold of him. Well, here's what Rodgers had to say in his introductory press conference with the Jets. First of all, he didn't commit to a 2024 season, of course, because that's not his M.O. He'll drag it out. He'll be wearing number eight, yep. not number four like Favre. Like, you think he would. He followed him there. And not number uh, number 12, 12, 12 no. Joe Namath. Well, there was talk. Namath oh, was going to let him oh, wear it. Namath did. Yeah, he did say and he you'd, would. And you'd think that Rodgers would be arrogant enough to take that. Yeah. But he's going to wear eight because he wore it in college. But this is what he said on... The Packers contact attempts. Quote, people who know know me, I'm fortunate to live in a beautiful house. The only downside is, is I have limited cell service. If you want to get a hold of me, I need to see your face. You have to FaceTime me. Roger says, I didn't get any FaceTimes. So, you, you're a million, million, millionaire. You can't tell me you can't have good cell service. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I just, I just laugh at this whole situation. How it kind of, it took so long to unravel. Really, this thing should have been wrapped up in March. And I think, and I think the guy, I think the guy would have had a bigger like social media post to the fans after all those years. It was basically you can find it anywhere. And I'm not going to read it. It's basically a very bare bones generic post. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm surprised because of the way he he goes about himself and how he likes to talk. He talks a lot and he likes to drag a little bit when it comes to his interviews and that. So I was kind of surprised. Yeah, it was like kind of clear cut and concise in terms of his. Uh, well, he spends post. a lot of time on Pat McAfee's yeah. uh, YouTube show, and he doesn't have any problems spouting off there. So you think you would have put a little more thought, a, a bigger post or two, a letter to the Packer fans, but whatever. I, I still am not anti Aaron Rodgers, but some of the stuff he does, you can tell he's a diva. Um, this is interesting. It appears that Derek Lalonde and John Cooper are going to have to have a face-to-face conversation if the two ever want to stay on each other's friends list. Cooper is taking aim at Lalonde, who is currently a coach with the Detroit Red Wings, but working for Sportsnet as an analyst because he used to be a coach with the Tampa Lightning. And he made some comments about the Lightning goalie, Andre Vasilevsky. Quote, and he did this during one of the broadcasts. Quote, we had a study back in the day that revealed he was one of the lower percentage goalies in finding pucks from the point. So we actually changed our entire D-zone coverage and improved our pass rush. In other words, he noted that Vasilevsky has a weakness there and the Lightning knew it, so they changed everything. Maybe the Leafs are onto it because you see a lot of tipped goals. Well, <laughs> 
This is what Cooper had to say. Quote, listen, Sportsnet's paying him well to go on and give an opinion, so he has to make something up about that kind of stuff. When it came to the comments specifically regarding Vasilevsky, Cooper added, he's there because he was an assistant coach on this team. So he's trying to offer insight and trying to give fans something, and he should be doing that. He's just got to make sure it's accurate. So basically he's saying that uh, Lalonde is not telling the truth, that he's lying, or he's trying to put yeah. up a smoke screen. I think there probably is something to that. I think Derek Lalonde has been pretty good on that panel. Um, and actually, I've never been a big fan of his, but I actually don't mind BX's work. I've been watching it a little more now. Yeah. I like BX's work. He does a pretty good job. I'm a Flames fan, remember? Oh, yeah, you don't like <laughs> yeah, BX. BX. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough well, one. Well, I don't like BX as a player, but and, and generally I don't like him, but I, I do I do. I'm like not going to say he's a bad a media guy or anything like that. It's just it's... It's hard. I, I, Michael Freeland was the, one of my favorites. The that, guy that I series. have a f- problem with, without going into it, the guy I have a problem with is uh, is Ron McLean. I really have <laughs> I a knew. problem with Ron McLean. Uh, I think Ron McLean's a great broadcaster. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not compare. I would never cut down Ron McLean as a broadcaster. I don't like how Ron. I'll just say this. I don't like how Ron McLean treated his friend Don Cherry. Yeah. I don't like it. Don Cherry saved Ron McLean's bacon. Remember when they had George Snuffleupagus there, yep. Stromanopoulos, and they yep. were going to try to yep. replace yep. Ron, uh, replace Ron with George, yep. and Don said, "You replace him, I'm out." And then they rehired Ron, and yeah. then he just kind of threw Don under the bus. Yeah, no, I agree. It that, that was so difficult, and it. I just think McLean. It's just not the same. Yeah, ever since uh, him and Cherry been, yeah, you know, apart like. It's not the same. Intermissions are not the same. They made each other. They made each other. They made each other. They did. They really did. Because Don was, Don was a bit of a wing nut, Mm -hmm. and Don was un um, unfiltered, and Don was unpolished. And Ron was polished, and Ron knew how to direct him and lead him. He whenever Don kind of went out of bounds a little bit, Ron knew how to reel him back. Funny enough, Ron in that infamous moment didn't reel him in and didn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then just threw him off nope. to the side, threw him under the bus. I, uh, that ticked me off. Anyway, you can weigh in on anything. Call me an idiot if you want on that to take. 936-6262 is our text line. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. 620 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. All right, let's go. Hour number two on the way. And this is the Sports Cage, Michael Ball, along with my board operator and our sports department reporter, Blaine Wyland, just getting our... uh, information from the riders for our draft night coverage we'll have blaine down at the stadium getting you the latest uh, from the uh riders war room and we will have the uh, draft from the first pick right to the last pick here on 620 ckrm actually the draft coverage on tsn they've got the the first two rounds and i think that's still the case live on tv and our next guest is very front and center with that coverage he would be farhan lalji but he gets his uh draft coverage going today uh well tomorrow but he's there today kansas city missouri our friend uh farhan lalji farhan uh, kansas city doesn't exactly scream nfl glitz and glamour to me i know they're the defending champs i get all that it's the heartland the midwest of football uh but the nfl tell you what they've uh, turned this into a event from uh from uh city to city for sure yeah come on you got to appreciate that man you live in saskatchewan it's the heartland as well right so you got to appreciate when when the league can take 
their sh- a showcase event to a, to a place like that. And certainly they love their football here. You know, um, when I when I go, I've covered the last few AFC Championship games, and when you go to to Arrowhead, it's incredible. Like the atmosphere is as good as you'll find in the league. They love their football here. The barbecue is fantastic, and you know this is a, this is a group that the NFL's got the combine in Indianapolis, which you think is kind of a not necessarily a logical place for a big showcase event, but they've had a lot of success in Indy every year. They're going to start moving that around. Uh, you know, for the longest time, we would cover this event. It was a Radio City Music Hall in New York. Then they moved it to Chicago. Now they're moving the draft around. So I think it's a good thing, right? I mean, you, you know, they, they add a lot of economic impact, and every city just wants a piece of the NFL. And there's some cities that just aren't going to get a Super Bowl. So you got to find a way to give them some of these other events and give them some love. That's true. Farhan, now don't take this the wrong way. You seem too refined to be a barbecue guy to me. Uh, but, but, but Farhan, what? What what makes I hear this about KC barbecue? My buddy in town here, his brother in law, lives in Kansas City. He goes there not just for the Chiefs games, but for the barbecue and the tailgating before the game. What makes their barbecue so good? Well, the barbecue sauce is a little sweeter. Like if you go to if you go to Kansas City or you go to Texas or you go to Louisiana, they all take kind of pride in their type of barbecue, and some of it's the, the type of meat that's more of a specialty, right? I mean, you get a little more seafood in Louisiana and, and things like that, but like barbecued beef ribs here in Kansas City, there's such a tang to it. It's it's awesome, and you can tell the difference. You really can tell the difference. So um, they also do a great job of, of smoking their food, right, mm-hmm. regardless of what it is, right? I mean, there's, there's not that's not as big a thing in Texas or in other areas, but certainly here they love doing that, so... Uh, you know, if you can get smoked brisket as well, it's, it's an awesome place to eat barbecue for sure. So you uh, cover this league more than me. I'm an NFL fan, but I would never consider myself an insider or an expert. Um, but to me, <laughs> me either, buddy. well, you you know a little more than me. You're obviously covering it. Uh, to me, though, just watching it as a sports guy, it doesn't. This this year's draft just doesn't have the flair for me. It's kind of eh, and maybe that's because of the quarterbacks. Maybe. You know, the truth is is that we probably don't have a quarterback at the top of the draft, like the one guy, maybe as good as we did. But, like, we've had some thin quarterback classes in recent years, right? And I actually have been impressed in the last couple of years. I've just never given NFL scouts generally a lot of credit in terms of being able to keep their hands off. So usually what happens is, you, you know, you go to these things and the season ends, and you're thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of question marks around the draft class. Then the Underwear Olympics begins, right? All the pro days, the combines, and everything like that. And then in that controlled setting, guys look so much better than they are, and different executives fall in love, and all of a sudden, guys get overvalued, and you wind up with, like, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff at the top of the draft, right? And mm-hmm. so last year, there was a little bit of resistance, which really, really impressed me, because I thought guys would get overvalued. Here, there's a bit of both, right? You've got Young and Stroud at the top of the draft. Now, all of a sudden... People are starting to waver a little bit on Stroud, who, for my money, T.J. Stroud from Ohio State, should be the top player taken. Like, he would be my number one quarterback, and I'm a Bryce Young fan. But you've got Will Levis and, and uh, Anthony Richardson, who, you know, they, they've got so much meat on the bone, but so many questions, right? Both guys have big-time ceilings, low floors, boomer bust in their game. So, But I, all of a sudden now, the way this is going, you know, I, I think both these guys are going to go in the top seven. I think teams are going to again trade up. In fact, I think there's even a there's a bunch of mock drafts that have all four quarterbacks going one, two, three, four. All the AFC South teams It'd be crazy, uh, but you know, so uh, there could be some flair there. Mm-hmm. The last two years, the receiving classes in these drafts, Ballsy, have been incredible. This year, 
Not as much. You know, you've got Jackson Smith and Jigba who missed most of the past season with a hamstring injury. But, you know, people are thinking he could be, you know, the, the next Justin Jefferson missed his final year but still was great. You know, there's, so there's some guys kind of in the bottom half of the first or maybe not as much in the top. Maybe that's where you think the sex appeal is going to come. But I still think there's some pretty good quality here, especially in the defensive line group as well. There's some pretty good guys at the top end. Farhan, I think we're both on the same page when we talk about our respect for Mark Tressman, who's been on the show quite a few times, friend of the sports cage, uh, one of the one of the better coaches both sides of the border when it comes to quarterbacking here in the last 20 years. He's a, he's a your train of thinking. He's put C.J. Stroud first. He put Bryce Young second. Uh, uh, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, the guy with the ACL injury at three. And then he's got Richardson at four. And I think he's got Levis somewhere down at seven. So uh, just your thoughts on that. Would you align with kind of what he's thinking? Uh, potentially, you know, like I like Hendon Hooker a lot, and I, I think he would definitely be in, in a the top four would be a top five had he not had the ACL injury. And he's also older, right? Like he'll be 26 at mm-hmm. some point before the end of the season, and that's certainly something a lot of NFL teams um, aren't aren't thrilled with, right? So that that hurts his narrative a little bit. Didn't necessarily hurt Joe Burrow, but for, you know, for sure for for Hooker, that and the injury is playing a bit of a part. But I think there's so much buzz around Hooker late. That I think a lot of teams that thought they were going to get him high in the second round, like let's say Seattle, right? Teams, you know, and, and even any of these teams in the first round, if you pass, like if Houston passes on a quarterback at two, which there's talk that they will, maybe they're thinking they can get Hen and Hooker at the top of the second round. But there's going to be so much buzz around that that he could get elevated into the first round because now if you put him in the first round, you also get the fifth year option on the player, right? So that's going to factor in. So the thought of somebody taking him late in the first wouldn't shock me. And, you know, the thing with Levis is he's got some accuracy issues. Both he and Richardson have some accuracy issues, but there's some context around it, right? Like in Levis's case, he played with a bunch of injuries, new offensive coordinator this year, a bunch of young receivers. So his 2021 tape is so much better, right? And he kind of really burst onto the scene after transferring from Penn State. You know, so could he be the... Could he be the seventh pick in the draft? Sure, and that's still pretty high, and, and that maybe is where he should go. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I just wouldn't be that guy that trades up and gives up a king's ransom, like three first-round picks to go get Will Levis, right? Yeah. And same thing with Richardson, right? His footwork needs a lot of work. His arm is incredible. His athleticism is incredible. But what I don't like is the small number of games he's played. Like, there's just not a lot of guys. Like, maybe Michael Vick. You know, there's a small number of guys that can play, you know, 13, 14 games in college and be able to figure it out at the NFL level. That really, really concerns me about Anthony Richardson. But, God, has he got a skill set. Like, the tools are all there. And someone's going to fall in love and take him, certainly, you know, top six, top eight at worst, right, the way it's going right now. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Hey, what do you make of that uh, Packers and uh, Jets trade? Looks like I think the Packers did pretty well, all for a guy that wasn't going to play for them anyway. Yeah, I think they did, right? And, you know, I think people are kind of overplaying the first because really it was just two two spots in the first round, right? Mm-hmm. And then a first-round pick in all likelihood next year. Then they kind of flip fifth and sixth picks, and then there's a second rounder. So, yeah, I mean, for a first and a second, you know, that's 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 a pretty good haul. Like you say, for a guy that wasn't going to come, they were trying to get first in this year's draft. So they probably feel, uh, the Jets do, that they were able to at least protect the pick in this year's draft and you know, still kind of come away with it that way because they feel they're so close so to be able to get Rodgers and still keep a mid to high level first round pick this year. I think they're willing to, 
to sacrifice a little bit down the road to, to get that done. So I think both GMs feel like they did pretty well. But, you know, if, if I'm the Packers, I feel pretty good about it. And I tell you this, they're going to take either an offensive lineman or receiver with their first-round pick and something they never did for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. They're going to do everything they can to get Jordan Love figured out. That's a, that's a very good point. Farhan Lalji joining us here for a couple more quick seconds. Listen, it's apples and oranges. I'm not ex- I'm not saying we should have an exact comparison. But can we not do... Like, listen, you're, you're there covering the NFL draft and the pomp and pageantry. You're also the main host for the CFL coverage for the two rounds you guys do on TSN on TV. Can we not make this a bigger deal in the CFL? Like, I've said this before. Why can't we, for the first, you know, we're going to start it. It had to start somewhere. If you go back and watch Elway to Marino, that 30 for 30 documentary, they're in some rinky-dink hotel in New York. It's definitely not the way it was back, it is now back in the day. you got to start somewhere in the CFL. Why couldn't we have it in a Casino Regina show lounge? Farhan Lalji and the gang there. you got all the t- you got the teams there for the couple of rounds. You could even paper the place give people drinks and buy them jerseys just to make it a big deal for the first michael couple ball autographs what's that michael ball autographs no not michael ball but you know what i mean like why can't we try to make it a big deal i would i would love it if uh collectively we all did a little bit more right i mean i'm obviously not going to criticize our network i don't yeah. want to criticize the league on this file because they'll say well i have tsn do it you know, and I've seen it tried before, right? Like, I remember back in the day once in B.C., Larry Smith was the commissioner, and they had it at, uh, at uh, the Expo Theater, right, like uh, down down in the Expo grounds. And, you know, they, they tried, and it didn't necessarily work then, but that doesn't mean it can't work now, right? Like, I'd love to see some musical acts and things like that associated with it and do a bit more. You know, there are some challenges with the CFL draft, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is that, we never, you know, there's no quarterbacks in it, right? Like, I mean, you get the anomaly with Nathan Lork and Michael O'Connor, but generally, we're not talking quarterbacks. Like, we just spent 10 minutes talking yeah. about five quarterbacks for this draft. Secondly, we don't have a lot of TV coverage during the season. So when you look at the NFL draft, think of all the low-level, sexy production-level footage that you see from ESPN broadcast, Fox broadcast, whatever. Like, all of that stuff is available to really make the draft sexy. What are you seeing when you see the CFL draft, right? You see some combine footage that's shot well, but generally it's coaches all 24 film. And that's not sexy either, right? So we spend way too much time talking about linemen and not quarterbacks, and the footage is a bit of a challenge because we don't, you know, it's just not covered all during the season, right? So I'm not making excuses, but there are some realities. But could we do more? We could always do more, my friend. You know that. Yeah, okay, lastly, Simon Fraser, alumni, leaving SFU Sports Hall of Fame. Like this, listen, man, this isn't going away. I'd like to know how this is going to get rectified. It's a great question. Um, I I do know the university is, is hearing the noise. They're feeling a level of pressure. They're still digging in. And we're still pushing, right? Um, I'm on committee meetings daily. I was like, I was in an airport yesterday, stuck in Salt Lake City for four hours on SFU calls for four hours. <laughs> and I'm on another one tonight. And we are doing everything we can. And I'll tell you this about those guys, uh, Doug Brown and that crew, we didn't orchestrate it as an alumni association. They did that on their own because of how much this matters. And, um, you know, it matters to a lot of people. Uh, the, the injunction that was on the third is being moved up to the first. But, boy, like, I hate the reputational damage that SFU has incurred here. And I really, really hope there's an off-ramp before the injunction. Because the visual of a university battling five of its students in court is not good for 
anybody. So, uh, you know, I, I do know that, that more dialogue is going to happen. Um, we're going to try to come up with solutions. We raised over $700,000 yesterday. Um, you know, and, and I hope the university, as I've said before, can view this as support and not pressure and find an off-ramp because there is a solution. It starts with applying. The school keeps maintaining there's no place to play. Well, prove that. Apply, right? If, it, mm-hmm. if you apply and you get turned down, what are we going to say? Like, what do we say at that point? Nothing. It's no, it's a good point. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a good point. Apply. Hey, Farhan, we're against the clock. Have fun tomorrow in Kansas City, and we look forward to talking to you again uh, and watching your work on the CFL draft. Thanks for your time. All right, buddy. We'll talk next week. Farhan Lalji joining us here uh, from the draft, the NFL draft in Kansas City. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage in a moment on 620 CKRM. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to the Sports Cage. Michael Ball here along with Blaine Weiland, who's operating for Sean Kleisinger, who's watching some Premier League soccer action today. He's taken in a Chelsea game. He was posting on Facebook from England, so good on Zinger. Hey, we haven't mentioned this yet, but the SO Cup, the female hockey uh, tournament, national tournament, Regina Rebels playing in it, and they are, I think, one and two. And if I'm not mistaken, Blaine, you told me they play tonight against the it's the host PA yeah, team. Yeah, so, Saskatchewan battle. Yeah, so that's a good one. Uh, PA is um, 0 and 3, and Regina's 1 and 2. So there's something to keep your eye on. Uh, also wanted to mention this, and you brought this to my attention. I think it's pretty interesting. So the um, NIL deals, likeness and likeness and image deals that the, these college football players get, and some CFL types have said, hey, uh, it's going to affect what guys we get to come from colleges up here to play in our league because they've already made hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions in some case. One guy who's getting no money. I can tell you one guy who's not getting any money. My son. Number one, he's not popular enough to get money yet. Uh, but Canadians can't get it. Canadians can't get NL, NIL deals like a Mechie when he was at yeah. Alabama. You can't get it because it compromises the Canadian student. It compromises your student visa. So you could be the best, the face of a team, and you couldn't do that. So I know agents are looking at working uh, a workaround on that. But you know who's not getting an NIL? Arch Manning. He is the uh, nephew of Eli and Peyton Manning. Uh, Cooper's their brother, the third brother, Cooper. But his son's going to be a great quarterback. And Cooper said he wanted his son to have an old-school recruiting process. Mm -hmm. And so the Mannings are saying he went to the University of Texas because he wanted to play at the University of Texas. The Texas Longhorns are coached by Steve Sarkeesian, the former Rough Rider quarterback, who, by the way, absolutely hated his time here in Saskatchewan. <laughs> I've tried to um, get him on for an interview, yeah. and uh, just through the different channels, and he's like, I, I don't I'd rather forget that. He was the quarterback when Cal Murphy was the coach. Yeah. and as, 90, uh, 97, right? And as Cal Murphy told me, uh, I think 98, 99. Yeah, but he Cal was yeah. 99 was when Cal was here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cal told me uh, couldn't break a pane of glass with, yeah. a, with his, like his arm strength was terrible. But hey, he coaches and has been a pretty good college football coach. Anyway, uh, apparently, um, was it the grandpa 
Archie. Archie said, you can't get an NIL agreement until you're a starting quarterback in Texas. Yeah, that's what Archie said, yeah. But, I mean, let's be honest. His last name is Manning. Do you think they have a few dollars kicking around there in the Manning household? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, which uncle do I hit up first? Yeah, or like I'm pretty sure Cooper Grandpa. got some money from Grandpa, from Dad, or from the brothers. Actually, Cooper's, yeah, he's got this uh, gig on Fox Sports every week on Sundays now, too. So Does he? He's on their one of their pregame shows oh, okay. every week. Cooper is. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, anyway, um, uh, they say, though... Sarkeesian said, this guy is, his value would be $3.2 million, Arch Manning. Yeah. So you could see why some of these big time college uh, quarterbacks, like a Vince Young, wouldn't come to the CFL because they already would have made their money. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's also a double edged sword, Blaine, because these guys are going to be, they're so rich. How are they going to, are they going to listen to a coach when they make that much money already? Yeah, that's interesting uh, how it's going to affect. And I mean, we we talk a lot about the draft of people in terms of them going in, but yeah, kind of the complacency. You know, we always talk about that in sports, about the, with the contracts and complacency. You know, we never experienced that before in college sports, but now it looks like we it could be. A I'm 50. You're creeping closer to 40. Think about being a 18, 19, 20 year old guy, 21, and you got three million in the bank already. Gee, well, think about Bedard. Bedard next year is going to be an 18 year old hockey player making an annual salary of almost nine hundred thousand, and that doesn't include a signing bonus he gets. Yeah, I know it's 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 crazy just how these how much the how much value is, mm. but. It goes all the way back. I mean, this has been brewing for years, especially all the way back with that NCAA football uh, video game and, yeah. and that whole situation. I can't wait come, for that to come back. Yeah. Though, oh, hey, yeah. That was my favorite game. I still got mine on P3. I want. I can't wait for it to come out because I want to be my son on the game. Because <laughs> North Dakota yeah. was on the last one, and yeah. I think they will be. I'll just I'll, Ethan Ball will be on the roster. And I mean, they can't mispronounce Ball. No! No, they can't. You're right. Absolutely. We're going to have more of the sports cage in a moment here on 620 CKRM. Sports ticker brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781. 20-90 NHL tonight. Bruins can finish off Florida up three games to one. They're in Sunrise. Seattle's at Colorado. Series tied at two-piece. No Kale McCarr for the defending champion Avs. He's out serving a one-game suspension for that illegal hit. Uh, to the head of Jared McCann. Uh, he hit him into the corner boards and glass in the last game. NBA, Knicks versus Cleveland, Lakers at Memphis, and Miami at Milwaukee, New York, LA, and Miami all up three games to one. Major League Baseball this afternoon, the game we care about around here, well, most people, the Toronto Blue Jays, 8 nothing over the White Sox. The White Sox are, in one word, pathetic. At least the last three games, they had two runs, and 11 hits in three games. Kikuchi was great today for the Jays. Struck out eight over five and two-third innings. In fact, coming up here, we're going to hear from the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, our Around the Horn segment every Wednesday with Ben Wagner. The Sports Cage is your voice for football, not only in the province, but around Canada. This is the Sports Cage CFL Report. A look at what's happening in our three-down game. The CFL Report, a presentation of Kevin's Marine. Make the most of summer with a boat or pontoon from Kevin's Marine in Fort Coppell. Check them out online at kevinsmarine.com. Now the CFL draft is around the corner, and a few drafts ago, the Riders took Nelson Lacombo out of the U of S. The defensive back wouldn't play in his first year because of a torn Achilles heel, but he's headed into his third season and says this is the best he's ever felt. 
Yeah, no, I, I feel a lot better going into this year than last year because last year was all just rehab and focusing on the Achilles. It's it's about as, as good as it was before. Yeah, so talk to me about that. It's not just the physical stuff, Nelson. It's probably a lot of mental stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, there there is a lot of mental um, kind of hurdles that you got to get past, especially during that time when you're not playing and watching your team play. Um, there's a lot that, that goes through your head. And, um, you know, I, I was I was lucky enough to to have people around my corner to help me help me out throughout that. And even um, even the guys that tore their Achilles alongside with me, Larry Dean, a couple of other players were just, you know, it was nice being out there and, and doing rehab and kind of going through the same thing that they're going through. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was able to make a recovery and, and I'm glad I'm still playing right now. From throwing heat to crushing dingers and the occasional walk-off, we're talking baseball with the latest on the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, it's our Around the Horn segment here with the outstanding radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. That would be our friend, Ben Wagner. Ben, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Another Toronto Blue Jays victory this time. 8 nothing over the Chicago White Sox. Before I get to some of the, the highlights, let's get an update on George Springer, who left the game after being hit by a pitch uh, in his right hand, I believe. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it was the really second hold-your-breath moment for the Blue Jays within the last five days. If you go back to the series on Saturday against the New York Yankees, Santiago Espinal gets dotted in the wrist. He looks like he's injured now. The impact with the bat certainly way bigger if you lose George Springer. The good news is initially it didn't look as bad, but then kind of the ripple effects, right? He continues to run the bases. He goes out defensively, and you think, all right, well, maybe it just grazed him. And then all of a sudden he disappears from the lineup. That is where, all right, swelling, some sensitivity, maybe a little bit of soreness. You're really worried about it. But the x-rays came back negative for George Springer. That is definitely the most positive and immediate news that you can share after you watch one of the Blue Jay superstars leave the lineup today. Hey, um... Uh, I'm uh, like I said, I'm getting uh, more into baseball, so I'm watching it a little more intently. Uh, it's one thing, like if you can't, if you, if you're having a slump hitting, that's one thing. Just ask my Padre, shout out five times in the last fifteen games. But it's doing the little things right. I love. I love the attention to detail on the base, uh, bases for Varsho. Uh, you know, uh, the way he lines up behind the bag when, when he's on the base paths in terms of, you know, uh, a better, a better uh, lane to dive back to the bag, as they were saying on the broadcast. Uh, I have to admit, I watched part on TV and listened to part of your radio broadcast driving into the station. So a bit of both worlds. And then on, on the one fly ball when he was on, on base, he runs hard to second, runs back to first, and then hard to second again almost to give it like a hey I, I might take second you know what I mean attention to detail yeah yeah, yeah it's really it one it's been the calling card for the Blue Jays because over the last two years this has been a thing for Toronto in that clubhouse the attention to detail the small things that matter between not just a bunch of losses but one loss or two losses two years ago they missed the playoffs by one game little things in the playoffs cost them game and and you can look at the intricacies of everything defensively offensively sure base running is a big thing and i know i said this on the show earlier probably in spring training right where john schneider looked at me he said this is how we're going to win games we're going to go first to serve but within that there are certain nuances that the blue jays will do on the basis 
and tagging is one. Sliding is certainly another, right? Uh, the throw down to third base, great throw. Burger with a great tag. But because you go to the back of the bag with the mitten, you're safe. The angle, and Santiago Espinal was rounding second base, heading towards third to turn the corner and come home. Great play. Okay, you score. You score with ease. But what makes it easier? Whit Merrifield in the dugout pulls him aside and talks about the angle as he's going from second to third base just to make it that much more of a truer route from a base running perspective. So you've got guys that are really, really smart baseball players. Dalton Barsho certainly falls into that category. Whit Merrifield, elite base running, and his instinct on the bases. This is where the Blue Jays will take the next step. And that's where it goes into the details and the accountability that we've been talking about on broadcast, it feels like for you know three months now because it's been such an important thing to talk about with the Blue Jays and from a management standpoint, but also a front office standpoint. They know where the deficiencies were the last couple of years, and they they took steps to improve it. And you know what? The leaders in the clubhouse are taking steps to make sure it happens. How about Kikuchi? Uh, a great day today for the most part. Eight strikeouts, five and a two-thirds innings, and uh, you know, shutout ball for the Jays. Their starting pitching's come on fire here the last uh, eight games. It looks like the team that we projected, doesn't it? Because when you went into the season, you thought, all right, well, Alec Manoa, Kevin Gossett, Chris Bassett, we know what they're going to give you. What are Yusei Kikuchi and Jose Barrios going to give us? Those are the question marks. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, hold on a second. You get you get two or three weeks into the season, every starter has pitched six or more shutout. Every starter has allowed six or more runs. And where would the Jekyll, where would the Hyde mm-hmm. finally find a medium here? And certainly the Blue Jays over the last 10 days have pitched from a starting capacity so much better. And that alleviates so much pressure in so many different ways for John Schneider and how he has to think about it and then maneuver his bullpen. You never manage one day in the big leagues for the next day because you have to focus on what's in front of you and try to get that W because they are so, so valuable and it's so hard to win games in the big leagues. Uh, The good news is for the last, I don't know, 10 days, 12 days, the Blue Jays have given John Schneider a much easier resume to work with. Yeah, and runners in scoring position too. They did great the last three games. You asked me last week, I think, right? Like, Are you really worried they were last in the major league? Yeah. The answer is yes. This is a lineup from top to bottom, and I know you've got a couple of carousels in there. How are Whit Merrifield, Kevin Biggio, and, and Santiago Espinal going to factor into this thing? But ultimately, these are guys that have enough experience at the major league level and have approaches and are placed in positions with every lineup that is made up to be in the best possible position to succeed. And just like Kevin two nights ago, why was he in the starting lineup? And it looked like on paper, you know, you probably should have played with Merrifield. And John Schneider on the field told me it's because of the curveball. The curveball that he would face that night, he thinks that his swing plane would play better against the curveball versus the fastballs that Lance Lynn would throw. So wouldn't you know, after beating Cabin a couple of times with fastballs, he decides to get too cute, lays in a curveball, and what gets crushed for a go-ahead home run into the seats in right field the curveball and boom it it looks perfect so everything is done from john schneider's chair with the baseball operations department and and there are really there there's like an entire team of horses you know trying to drag this sled through 162 and this is just a small sample size of all the continuity and the collaboration that goes into making out one lineup 
let alone a series and what's projected for a month or two months, depending on the personnel that's available. But the Blue Jays fact, they factor in everything. And that's why I didn't panic about runners in scoring position, runners in scoring position with two outs. Even though in a shorter sample size and a smaller window, you could point back and be like, oh, base is loaded, nobody out, and you don't get any runs. That's okay. We're playing the long game here, and the Blue Jays are going to be just fine. This is Ben Wagner, outstanding radio voice for the Toronto Blue Jays. Aesthetically, I like the look of the new ballpark. What do you think about it logistically? How are you liking it uh, from a Blue Jays perspective? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. George Springer played one off the top of that 14-foot wall that would have been a home run earlier today yeah. uh, and then turned it into an out at second base. I love that aspect of it. Uh, well, I don't think we've seen the outfield configuration yet factor into a game. There's going to be a ball that lands in front of the bullpen, in front of those, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the chain link fence. Yeah. The chain link fence that kind of separates the field of play from the lower portion of the, the bullpen. I have asked every outfielder that plays for Toronto about how you're going to navigate that space because it's unique. Most ballparks have it situated to the right or the left, not truly behind a right or left fielder, and they feel like this could be a thing. This could be a factor. We have not seen a ball shoot wildly one way or the other, so I'm waiting on that. But what I've seen from bounces off the padded wall, it's still firm because these are just month-old paths. Over the course of years, during batting practice and during just regular games, they're going to soften up a little bit, right? So, uh, thankfully right now, every ball really that's come off the wall has at least bounced in the Blue Jays' favor. But I love the look of it. I, I, I haven't seen any egregious angles or things that stick out in the optics aspect of it from a, from a baseball perspective that say, hmm, this is maybe where they cut a corner. Certainly not on the field of play. And... Uh, if you look at it from a fan perspective, you look at that 500 level, there are thousands of people having a really good time, especially on a matinee. All of a sudden, most of uh, the financial district in downtown Toronto had an off-site meeting scheduled today. People are certainly having fun within the ballpark, and they're having a lot of fun watching this ball club. And it was great to see it was a school group day. A lot of school groups were at that game. Yes, this is one of the more fun experiences from a ballpark perspective that I enjoy. And I spent a lot of time in the minor leagues where you would have these kids' day games, and you would see these color-coded sections in the ballpark, and they'd be crazy for three or four innings. With the pace of play that we have experienced this year, kids are engaged, they're seeing more. They obviously saw their heroes do amazing things at the ballpark today, plus the signs. Oh, my gosh. It was like a kaleidoscope of color and activity in the 500 level today with so many of those kids uh, pocket by pocket celebrating and, and in unison holding up their signs. It looked like choreographed artwork, honestly. You know, when the video board would show this group of kids, you know, and they would all hold up their signs or go crazy with their banners. It was pretty awesome. So uh, a couple more quick questions for you. Uh, the Mariners coming to town this weekend, and unfortunately for former Jay Robbie Ray, his season's over after one start. He's getting a, a flexor tendon repair surgery. That's the bad news for uh, Mr. Ray. Yeah, not great. Um, I talked with somebody closely connected to Robbie recently, and just a couple of days ago, you know, he said he was feeling great, really looking forward to the opportunity to come back, pitch competitively, in Toronto because there was a pocket of time where he was not allowed to pitch mm-hmm. in Toronto. Remember last year, mm-hmm. you know, he was not afforded that opportunity and they had to adjust the schedule. It would have been a really nice moment for the Blue Jays to recognize Robbie Ray and what he was able to do in a very difficult but yet special season. 
for the Toronto Blue Jays. That being said, it's a devastating blow to the Seattle Mariners, but it's a benefit for the Blue Jays because the way things have started in that Western division, when you have an Astros team that should be playing better and they'll get bats back and they'll figure it out, all of a sudden the Texas Rangers, you know, they're playing like the Texas Rangers have talked like the Texas Rangers are going to play right now. If you get another team into the mix, that really muddies the waters, especially with the number of teams, even with the expanded playoffs that you're looking at, you want less of a problem from a Blue Jays perspective. If the Rays are going to ride this wave in this hot start and all of a sudden coast into a division victory, well, okay, that narrows the playing field because there are only so many spots. The Blue Jays had high aspirations about getting to the playoffs and winning the American League Eastern Division first and foremost, and that still might happen. But you realize where the problem is. You know, you can't win a division in April. You can lose a division in April. And certainly the Rays are positioning themselves to really, really make a run through the summer with their hot start. So the Blue Jays need less obstacles and hurdles in their way. And taking Robbie Ray out of the rotation for a pretty good Seattle Mariners team certainly will help their cause. Ben, thanks for your time, man, on a game day. We appreciate it. Have a good call this weekend. All right. Appreciate it. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah. You guys have a great week. You too. Ben Wagner, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays' weekly hit called Around the Horn here on the Sports Cage. We'll be back and address some of your texts in a moment on 620 CKRM. Well, the Clutch Performers brought to you by Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Give them a call. 781 1077. Now, I know the Jays were in action today against the White Sox, but yesterday our clutch performer was Danny Jansen. Hit his second and third home runs of the season. Here's how it sounded from the radio voice of the Blue Jays, Ben Wagner, who's a regular here on the sports cage. That'll bring up Danny Jansen. The 1-1 pitch. Swing and a line drive out to deep left field. Benintendi back, turns around. It's gone! Number two on the season for Danny Jansen. We go into the bottom of this sixth inning. Danny Jansen, Kevin Kiermeyer, and George Springer to face Tanner Banks. Jansen clubs another one. High and deep. Out to left field. You can forget it! So nice, he'll do it twice. A two-homer game for Danny Jansen. All right, so uh, that was uh, Ben Wagner, who we had on actually a couple minutes ago uh, to talk about uh, the Jays' 8-0 victory today. That was a 7-0 victory last night, 5-2 the day before that, as they crush the White Sox. Seattle's coming in next, and my buddy Blaine Weiland, who's in the control room with me, is going to watch two games Friday and Saturday. Our text line's powered by Capital Auto Group at 936-6262. All right, so Blaine, we got some texts. Uh, I'll let you uh, read them. Uh, pick one off here. First one, what do you got there? Well, we got two sides of the coin on that uh, Ron McLean, Don Cherry topic we were talking about before. Um, first comment, uh, coming from Kelly. Absolutely agree with your comments on Ron McLean. Totally threw his longtime friend and associate under the bus to save his own skin. Yeah, so read the second one and then I'll address it. So what's the second and one? The second one from Leonard is Don Cherry is responsible for what he says as much as I like him. Ron didn't throw him under the bus. Yeah, so... Um, I'm I'm not gonna go into the whole. I just don't want to touch it because I don't want to. Uh, I just don't need the headache <laughs> in today's world. But I will say this. Um, I thought Don Cherry in that situation should have been allowed to come back and apologize or clarify what he meant when he 
I th- he yeah. said you people. Yeah. When he said that, yeah. he should have been able to clarify it. He didn't. And Ron McLean did throw him under the bus. I have no I I think Ron McLean is a great announcer. He is uh he is uh he's a broadcasting legend. There's no doubt about it. But I did not like how he, in my opinion, treated his friend Don Cherry. Threw Don under the bus when Don saved his skin once again when they tried to replace Ron McLean like they like to do in the broadcast industry. Forget what you did and replace you. And they did tried to do with George Snuffleupagus, George <laughs> Stromanopoulos, or whatever the hell his name is, who is a good broadcaster in his own right, oh, yeah. but not as a hockey or sports broadcaster. And Don said, If if Ron goes, I go. Mm-hmm. But then Don's gone, and Ron doesn't stick up for him. Come on, Don Cherry is an un- Don Cherry is an unpolished guy. He says stuff, and probably doesn't put it in the right way. And people have actually called me the Don Cherry, you know, in some ways. I'm a little unpolished too. I'm not the most polished broadcaster, but to throw the guy under the bus, Don Cherry made Ron McLean. Ron McLean was he was nothing without Don Cherry. Now, has he taken it since then? Absolutely. But Don Cherry made Ron McClain. Let's not forget that. Now, I'm just thinking about all the years. It's just it's hard to believe because it's been a few years now since that has gone down. But just how many years those two were linked together? Uh, I was just I kind of started watching just I think as Ron McClain was starting to get into more of a prominent role Saturday night. I was on the tail end of uh, Dave Hodge, uh, mm-hmm. his exit when he threw his pen yeah. in the air. Yeah, 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 for sure. Anyways, let's go to uh, the next text you got there. Uh, we got one from Dwayne in Tway. Yeah. Uh, your question about why don't we do something to get the draft televised? My question is, why is the same question being asked? Because like you said, get it started. Start somewhere. It's ridiculous that you've asked the same question for years. Yeah. So that's the CFL draft we're talking yeah. about, right? I have asked, and I think it goes on to say, have you asked the, the, the TSN or the commissioner? You yeah. kind of get a, you know... They kind of go around the mulberry bush. They don't really give you a straight answer. So I just cut out the middleman, and we're doing it on radio. We do it. We can do. So we're doing a draft show on radio. First time we've done it from the first to the last pick. So we're going to do that here on 620 CKRM next Tuesday. We're going to do what we can do as your ultimate voice of CFL. Not just Rough Rider football, but CFL football here on 620 CKRM. Make sure you tune in after the sports cage on Tuesday. It'll be a long night, but well worth it. When we come back on the other side of 5 o'clock news, we'll go to Vegas, talk with our buddy Steve Carp about the Knights and the Raiders' plan for the draft. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Sports Talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. You want to talk sports? We got an open spot about 515 at 936 6262. You can also get us at 1 The 936-6262 number is also our text line powered by the Capital Auto Mall. We've had some uh or Capital Auto Group, pardon me. We've had lots of great texts coming in. Keep them coming here. Lots going on in the world of sports. First round of the Stanley Cup playoffs have been exciting. Coming down to uh, the wire here. And uh, it's time to uh, do a double dip here. We're going to talk to uh, award-winning columnist out of Vegas, the Sporting Tribune. It's uh, Steve Karp joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Get it hot, get it fast, Western Pizza, NHL. And the NFL draft, and actually uh, the 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 Knights game and the draft fall on the same night tomorrow night. There, uh, Steve, what are you doing? What are you going to do? How can you be in two places at once? 
Well, I can't. Well, technically I could. I guess if I want to go on Zoom in the Raiders uh, um, media center, I could probably do that and track it while the uh, Knights and Jets are skating in game five. But I think I'm going to focus on the hockey and I'll be at T-Mobile Arena up in the press box for Game 5. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, let's talk about that. How about the former Regina Pat? He was traded, I think, for a fifth-round pick. Chandler Stevenson, two more assists. Chandler's been an offensive catalyst for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. You know, I go back to when they traded for him, like, was it, four years ago, after you know he'd won a cup with Washington and helped beat Vegas. And they gave up a fifth-round pick for Chandler. And he scored his first game against New Jersey. They were playing at Prudential Center. And I said to Kelly McCrimmon, I said, you know, this guy just needs a chance. He said, exactly. That's why we traded for him. And look at the career he's had since he came over to Vegas. He's been tremendous. And I think Mark Stone said he's the best player he's ever played with. And remember, Stones played with, like, Daniel Alfredson and the pretty good players when he was in Ottawa. You know, they didn't win the Cup there, but uh, for him to keep that kind of praise on Chandler Stevenson is pretty impressive. And uh, now he's been he's been everything and more than the Knights could have ever hoped for. And to me, he still goes down as the best move they've made in their six-year franchise history. Have you been, uh, no, you're covering the team. Don't know that you root for them or not, uh, but... Um, no, no, yeah. I'm an Islanders fan. I, yeah. I got my own problems, man. <laughs> well, we're, we're hey. trying to stay alive. Hey, 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 they and they did stay alive. I I thought it was an interesting night last night. Check this out, Steve. Okay, so if this happens in the NBA, they shut the league down for three weeks. But um, and obviously, there's a basketball, not a puck in 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 uh, in basketball. But you got Aho takes a puck off the face that your Islanders bat out of midair into the net. Sebastian would come back and score for Carolina. They'd still lose three two. And then in Edmonton later in the night, Zach Hyman, who's been colder than your heart, Steve, he uh, he gets a goal. Uh, he gets a goal uh, off his face on the power play. Doesn't miss a shit. Doesn't miss a shift, Steve, and that's a hockey player for us. So we had a kind of interesting night in the NHL. It was, and of course, we've seen it already in the Winnipeg-Vegas uh, series Yeah, with we- Logan. Oh, I mean, 75 stitches, my God. You know, when I played, you know, you get like four or five stitches and you think you're a tough guy. That ain't tough. What he went through was tough. What Ajo went through and, and Hyman, those are tough guys. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so let's talk about, uh, I was going to get to it. What do you think of the play of Laurent Brossois? He has at least held his own against Connor Hellebuck. I would agree. I think he's given Vegas the goaltending they were looking for. He hasn't had to be spectacular. He just has to be solid. And I think he's done that. I I don't think... Uh, you know, they had that one weird goal the other night where it went like 15 feet up in the air and it came down. He couldn't find it. And mm-hmm. Petrangelo and Martinez were, were kind of looking to try to bat it and it found its way into the net. Well, that, that thing, that happened. That's hockey. Weird bounces take place. You know, it's funny. Rick Bonus was crying about not getting a, a lucky bounce here and there. And then he gets one, but he doesn't say boo about that. 
And, uh, you know, look, he's trying to work the reps. I get it. And, you know, I remember when Bodus coached on the island, and he did a nice job there. And he's done a very good job in Winnipeg, by the way. Yeah. All this being said, the Knights are making the game harder on Hellebuck with each game. They're making it work harder. Obviously, Josh Morrissey being out is a big loss for Winnipeg. I don't know if Mark Shifley is going to draw in or if Nikolai Ehlers are coming into the lineup tomorrow. I think they're both on the trip, so we'll see. And if they're close to being able to go, I can't see them not playing. But, you know, Boussois done a good job. And, and uh, everyone was worried about, you know, who would be in Ned? Would it be Logan Thompson? Would it be Jonathan Quick? Would it be Boussois? Would it be Aiden Hill? Well, it's clearly his net now. Yeah, so, I don't think... That's uh, not a worry anymore in Vegas. Yeah, I don't think Shifley's in for Game 5. Bonus says he's not playing Game 5, maybe Game 6. Okay. It, it just feels like the uh, the Jets don't have enough healthy bodies to compete. Like It feels like this one's over on Thursday yeah. to me. That's what it feels I, like. I think, I think we're looking at handshakes tomorrow night at T-Mobile. And, you know, it's a shame that Winnipeg doesn't have quite the depth to... Uh, to counter Vegas, which does have the depth. By the way, Will Carrier, he had the career-high 16 goals in 56 games. Mm-hmm. He skated in full contact today. He may draw in tomorrow, depending mm. on what happens. If he does, the question is who comes out. Yeah, for sure. Do you take Michael Amadio out? Do you take Brett Howden out? Do you take Bill Kessel out? And would that be interesting? Yeah, for sure. Hey, last, would, have to, uh, last would be in the press box. Yeah, lastly, as it relates we to... We don't have hot dogs in the press box <laughs> in Vegas. So, hey, Steve, before we uh, switch the gears to football here, it looks like, Jack yeah. Eichel, looks like Jack Eichel's having fun in his first playoffs. Yeah, I think it once he got rid of the jitters from game one, and, you know, the only study who showed up that night was William Carlson, but since then... All four Vegas centers have outplayed Winnipeg's, and I think that's been the key to the series. When you're playing well up the middle, when you're winning face-offs and controlling the puck, it makes you a little tough to beat. And uh, I think Eichel is really enjoying, plus that power play in Vegas, is, which has been horrific, kind of right there with the Islanders. And they finally maybe have figured out how to find the back of the net with Eichel playing on that that you know left uh, that kind of Ovechkin mm-hmm. spot there by the hash marks by the the half board. So it looks like Cassidy's pushing all the right buttons and we'll see if it's gonna be Edmonton or LA next if Vegas uh, does get through tomorrow. I think it's going to be an Edmonton Vegas matchup. I think the I think You're the right. I think the Kings dam burst when they blew the three nothing first period lead. The Oilers woke up. I agree, and, and I think McDavid and Drysdale just said enough of this nonsense. We're going to, you know, take this game over, and they've done that. They've taken the series over, and you know, they're they're just getting really good play from uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Lastly, before I let you go, Steve, and I thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Um, the the Raiders. What are they going to do in the draft? Well, if you believe all the mock drafts, they're going defense. Maybe it's Tyree Wilson, who's an edge from Texas Tech. Maybe it's uh, Devon Witherspoon, the quarterback from Illinois. Maybe it's Christian Gonzalez, a corner from Oregon. 
or maybe it's Jalen Carter, the defensive lineman from Georgia who was involved with that, that uh, car thing you know, in December. Mm-hmm. I, I think they need a lot of things, but I don't know that a quarterback is necessarily the top thing they need. What I think they're going to do is they'll go defense, and then day two and, and the first part of day three is going to be how good this draft is for them. They pick number 38 in the second round on Friday, and then they have two picks in the third round, number 70 and 100. Maybe that's where they get the depth they need, both on the offensive line, maybe a tight end, and, and certainly on defense. And then on Saturday, uh, they have the 109th pick in the fourth round. So look to the Friday-Saturday segment of the draft to see if the Raiders really know what the hell they're doing because <laughs> everyone's going to everyone's gonna fixate on the first round pick at number seven. But I think the story of how well they do in the draft will be determined Friday and, and uh, early Saturday. This guy always does well. He's Steve Karp of the Sporting Tribune, Las Vegas columnist. He's got his uh, fingers all over the sporting scene there. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Yeah, Steve Carp, a good friend of our buddy Kevin Gallant, former voice of the Regina Pats. Uh, they were together when there was the uh, International Hockey League there in uh, Vegas, and they uh, met up down there. When we come back, we'll take your calls if you want to call and uh, just kick around some of the sports topics of the day. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage, 936-6262, our number to call locally. You can always text that number, 936-6262, and you can uh, get a hold of us at one 866 And also, um, all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline, as Steve Karp just did from Vegas. We'll get a little update on our Regina Red Sox, take a trip down memory lane with Floor Coverings International in the Where Are They Now segment, and actually the draft around the corner. Have a little chat with Chris Bauman, former receiver with the Rams, who went first overall to the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2007. And we wrap up the show with Luke Molitor, our text uh, powered, a text line powered by our friends at Capital uh, Auto Group. And Blaine, you had one there. Uh, we I brought up Ron McLean because I had said I like I like BXA now on the panel, and you were saying you don't really watch it now since Cherry and McLean aren't there, and I didn't like how Don Cherry. Uh, you know, Don's and Don said what he said. I think it came out wrong, and I don't think he got a chance to really come back and say what he meant or clarify. Because he's, let's be honest, he's eighty year old dude. He's rough around the edges, always was, even when he was fifty. Um, and I thought McLean just let his buddy threw him under the bus. Yeah, I guess uh, going to the text uh, now. It's uh, once again, it's from Leonard, uh, the Ryder GM. Put yeah. his job on the line and lost it over Corey Chamberlain. And Ron did the right thing in Hockey Night Camp to keep his job. So I don't get the Chamberlain-Tamman thing. Maybe it's because the Chamberlain and Chamberlain were fired at the same time. And that Tamman, I don't know if it was, now this is, I can't remember back then if Tamman was facing pressure to dismiss Chamberlain early on and he resisted. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That 
you know, Tammond didn't uh, remove Chamberlain as head coach. I think it's. I think I don't know about that. I think Roy Shivers. They, people wanted him to get rid of Danny Barrett. Yeah. Back oh in yeah. The day, that, yeah. And and he wouldn't. Yeah. And then he got let go. So, but but that, that's apples and oranges. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Uh, what I'm telling you is. And this is undeniable. Don Cherry saved Ron McLean's job. Ron McLean, yes, he had nothing to do with what Don Cherry said in terms of Don's a man. But in my, my opinion, he didn't do enough for, you know, didn't stand up for his buddy. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, you know, it's all the, as much time has gone on since the incident and nothing has changed out of it, then nothing's well. I don't. We're not going to get that ending. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I, this is just my opinion and not political or anything. That panel is way worse now than it's oh. ever been. I can't even watch it. No. I try to watch a little bit of the TNT. They're not bad at times. Although I think Paul Bissonnette is a little overrated, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Um, I like Whitney, actually, better. Uh, and then, maybe because he's an older <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, yeah, and that's probably Mark, why. <laughs> Mark Messier's kind of, he's just dry. He brings a, he yeah. brings a, um, credibility, obviously. Chelios does a decent job. Um, and Gretzky's kind of dry, too. Like, I don't know. I, I, all the panel shows, it, it's never going to be what it was. You know, and more people a, tuned in for Coach's Corner than they actually did for the hockey game. That's a true story. Yeah, and you know what? I even miss Satellite Hot Stove. I miss the old. Oh, days. that was good. Yeah, when Brian Burke and Al Strachan used to go at it during the intermission. Eric Dahatchuk. Yep. I just remember Brian Burke and Alex Tracking given those glares they did when they had those split screens, and yeah. you could just see Brian Burke's eyes just glaring, fuming every time that Alex Tracking was on there. Uh, yeah, I miss those days. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Leafs Lightning tomorrow. Uh, let's talk about some of these series tonight. We got uh, Colorado, Seattle. Seattle's put up more of a yeah. fight than I thought, man. Oh yeah, I I mean. I thought they put up a fight, but not this much of a fight, I guess. I mean, the, the fact is going to go to at least six games, at the very minimum, six yeah, games. Yeah. And they're really pushing the Avalanche. I, I, I wasn't too high on the Avalanche going to the playoffs. I thought they could get by Seattle, then probably lose to either Dallas or Minnesota. But I'm not even sure now they're going to get past Seattle. So I think they'll barely get past Seattle, but they won't beat Dallas. I agree with you there, because Dallas is going to beat Minnesota. I think the Oilers will take out the Kings and face the uh, Knights. And then over on the other side, who do you got, Rangers or Devils? Oh, the beginning. That's, of the a, that's a road series right now. Yeah, right now. Even though two teams are not really, you know, when on the road, they're not that far away from home. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah, they're yeah, playing yeah. across the rivers, the yeah. Hudson River yeah. battle. It's like it's like playing at the Jack Hamilton and then over at the Staples yeah. Arena. That's basically what it is. I still, th- I still think the Rangers will pull it out in that series. I really like the Rangers in the East. Yeah, I do too. And. Uh, and then uh, the Boston Bruins should beat Florida tonight, I think. They'll finish them off. Yeah. Bergeron's back tonight. Yeah. They've been doing all this without Patrice Bergeron. Think about that. They're the team right now. They're the number one team. Nobody's, beat, so. nobody's beating them right now. I don't see a team. The only team I think that can compete, and not just because I'm an Oilers fan, is the Oilers. Because they've got fire. They've got the two best players in the world on their team, and that gives you a puncher's chance. I don't think they'd beat them, but they have the best chance of beating them. I think the Rangers could throw... I know you t- had said that. I know you yeah, said I, that. I like the Rangers a lot in these, that they'll give them a run. Um, in terms of uh, the other series, we've got the Leafs and Tampa. I think the Leafs actually will win the next game. I think they're going to slay some curses tomorrow, or yeah. th- this week, I should but say. But they're not going to get... They're not getting past Boston. No, that'll be tough. Just imagine if they go down 3-1 or there's a 3-1 situation. Can you imagine if they don't win tomorrow night? I hope they don't win tomorrow night. I hope they lose tomorrow night and Leaf fans are just blowing up the internet tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be interesting to be in Toronto this weekend then. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, you're going there. They're going to be panicking. Make sure you bring some... uh, 
Kevlar or something. Uh, when we come back, we'll take a trip down memory lane with Chris Bauman, former Ram, former um, Hamilton Tiger Cat. He was with Edmonton and Calgary, too. Won a great cup with the Stampeders. We'll also hear from Luke Molitor before the show's over. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Your sports ticker brought to you uh, brought to you by Busy Bee Overhead. Busy Bee will repair or replace your residential or commercial garage door so you don't get stuck in or out. Catch the buzz. Busy Bee Doors, the garage door specialist. Jays belt the White Sox 8-0. Bo Bichette had a homer and three RBIs. Yusei Kikuchi went um, five shutout innings with eight strikeouts. So good news for them. The pitcher at the back end of their rotation picking up his game. The Blue Jays starting pitching has been picking up their game for sure. NHL, Florida trying to stay alive. Anthony Duclair has the goal. It's one nothing for the Florida Panthers over the Boston Bruins. Bruins up three games to one still to come tonight. The Kraken in Denver to take on the Avalanche. That series tied at two apiece. And that's your sports ticker. Let's round the bases. Time for today's Sports Cage Regina Red Sox reports on the voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. And the Regina Red Sox report is brought to you by our friends at the Canadian Brew House. Simply Spiked Lemonade is new to the CBH with four bold, full-flavored, fizzy choices for you to enjoy. The Regina Red Sox season quickly approaching. Coming up here in May, they've got a new head coach, local product Ben Kamenowski, who's at Indiana State, but he's eager to get home and coach some baseball. Oh, I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Our team's starting to look really good as we're uh, filling these final roster spots. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun coming home and uh, you know coaching the Red Sox hometown. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a really cool experience. Yeah, is it kind of a, a pinch me moment almost? You you know coming full circle, hometown <laughs> guy played and now coaching. Yeah, I mean I can't say I really expected it happening, but uh, yeah, definitely kind of a pinch me moment. Uh, you know, full circle, like you said, uh, getting to play for that team. I had a lot of fun playing for them uh, back in 2019. So, you know, it makes it more exciting to come coach that team now and just be a part of that community again. It really pumps me up. So. How, how, how did it come to be that you became the coach of this team? I mean, pretty much Rye, Rye Pothicus, he's the director of operations for the Red Sox there. He's, he's been there a long time. He's He and I have known each other, you know, all since I was in high school, but – uh, he kind of reached out to me one day in the fall and asked me if I had any interest in coaching the Red Sox uh, for this upcoming summer. And, uh, you know, it just kind of took off from there. I told him, absolutely, you know, I'd be in. And, you know, went through a couple interview processes. And, uh, you know, he's been a big factor in, in helping me get up there and putting this team together. Ben Kamenowski, the new coach of the Regina Red Sox. Uh, growing up in Regina, it's not exactly, and no disrespect, but it's not exactly a baseball <laughs> hotbed. That's not the sport you think of first. How did that become your first love? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, growing up, I kind of played everything. Uh, in high school, I was playing four or five different sports every year, um, just depending on what time of year it is, you know, how it goes up there. Yeah. Um, just baseball was just one of those ones that I just gravitated two more I guess uh kind of fell in love with it at a really young age um it was a sport that I was good at and I had the drive to get better at every single day so you know as I kind of got older and went through high school I started narrowing down sports and you know baseball was always at the top of the priority list for me so 
They're the names we speak with reverence or scream out loud. The names that help define us, inspire us, and build the game that we all love. Each Wednesday on the Sports Cage, we flash to the past with a legend to see if there is indeed life beyond the scoreboard. This is Where Are They Now? And it's time now for Where Are They Now? Brought to you by our friends at Floor Coverings International. Need new floors? Let Floor Coverings International bring their mobile showroom to you. Visit their website for your free consultation. Of course, the CFL draft goes down May the 2nd. We'll have your coverage from pillar to post, from the first pick to the last pick here on your voice of CFL football, your voice of Riders football, 620 CKRM. And I thought we'd go back to an interview I did roughly one year ago with a former Regina Ram receiver from Brandon, Manitoba, who was the first overall pick in the CFL draft by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It would be receiver Chris Bauman. And he was just finishing a round of golf when I caught up with him. What do you, what do you like best about golf? Because it's not, a, it can be a real stressful game, Chris. It can. Um, I think it's because you can't blame anyone else but yourself. <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to that's a good way to look at it how much pressure did you put on yourself uh you know coming up through the ranks uh actually not too much um it was it was just always fun playing so i, I didn't put any pressure honestly until probably cfl so, so, other than so, that i didn't really pressure myself too much so you come from brandon how does a guy from brandon make it to regina to play for the rams frank and bernie they were relentless in recruiting me. Um, I think U of M had a good shot, and I was really set on going there. And then um, Dobie kind of stopped talking to me, and Frank and Bernie really stepped up and brought me out and really sold me on the program. What would you like about Regina and the Regina Rams and, and just being in that, uh, in that offense with Bernie Schmidt, who's forgot more about offense than most guys know? No kidding. Uh, he's... I mean, if you want to be a receiver, you want to catch footballs, you want to put up yards, it's it's the best program to be in. So that's kind of what sold me on it. Yeah, and what about Rick Seaman? He's the guy we always talk about. You know, we talk about uh, the coaching tree and this kind of tree. Uh, at receiver U, as we used to call it in Regina, Rick Seaman was the guy to, to, to help you hone your craft. He was, especially your first couple of years. He was very technical, um, and he really he really worked on fundamentals every day. And I think as your years went on, he kind of moved on to the younger guys, but he set that foundation definitely from the from day one. What kind of dog you got there? Uh, it's a buddy's. I'm not even sure what it is. I think it's a, a cross. <laughs> <laughs> Having a couple of wobblies at a buddy's house after golf. I love it. Chris Bauman in our Where Are They Now segment, former Regina Ram. First overall pick by the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2007. What was that like? It was a whirlwind day. It was They flew me out that morning. Um, and it was, I mean, I went all the way downtown to the CFL headquarters and this was before all those, the draft shows and everything. So it was, it was fun. It was a busy day and, um, it's something I'll never, never forget. Did you, did you anticipate going number one? Did you have a, did you have a clue that you were going to go number one? Not at all. I thought I was going number two or three. Um, I heard that Edmonton was going to take Warren Keene, the kicker. And they end up doing that. And I thought I was going to number three yeah, to Calgary. I hadn't even talked to, to Hamilton. So it was kind of a surprise. 
So just uh, just your thoughts on being the number one pick. How much pressure comes with that, uh, you know, going into – it's not like the NFL, obviously, but uh, when a team spends a number one on you, a first overall, they expect big things. Yeah, for sure. It was it was a lot of pressure. Um, something I don't think a lot of people realize. Uh, it would have been nice kind of being an undrafted even or a lower round where there's not too many expectations. You can go and learn. Um, but I think, I think the biggest thing was it was a big uh, regime change in Hamilton, and there's a lot of pressure on everybody. And um, it was just – and they got rid of all their all their veteran receivers, so there wasn't much to learn from. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just learn as you go, and being a rookie, that's kind of not what you want. But it worked out, everything. I enjoyed all my time, and I have no regrets. Were you happy? With, yeah, so that was my next question. Were you pretty satisfied with your CFL career all in all? Yeah, I mean, who gets to play a game for a living, right? Um, so at the end of the day, I'm happy with everything. Yeah, I wish things, some things would have went different, but uh, I look back on it with, with fond memories. You got a great cup ring, if I'm not mistaken, right? I do, yeah, with Calgary in 14. Yeah, at the end of your career. So at least you, a lot of guys play this game, Chris Bauman, and they don't get a great cup ring. What's more important to you, the ring or the fact your name goes on a trophy? I've asked a lot of guys this. Ring. Who carries around the trophy all the time? I got that ring in my basement, so um, it'll always be with me. And um, Obviously, it'd be nice to be on the the trophy, but um, that ring's a a beautiful thing to have. Did you sports or CIS when you played, were you you ready to jump in and play right away? Or would you have liked to, like you said, have a couple of of years to learn from somebody and then come in? Um, I don't think I was ready physically. Um, I wasn't a big gym rat, um, so it took me my first year to really learn. Like oh, these guys are way bigger and stronger, and that's something I worked on in my my first off season. But um, there's aspects of it where I jumped right in, but and I, and they they kind of hid me out at at the wide out, the wide side wide out where you don't get much action out there. So it's you can kind of hide out there for a little bit, but. Uh, once you get moved in the slot, it's it's a different game. Yeah, did, did you find, because I talked to Dan Farthing, uh, you know, back when he was a first overall pick with the Rough Riders came in here, he had some veterans that he was behind, like a Farrellman and Elgard, so he didn't have to jump in right away. But uh, he, he talked about how he'd make a move at the at the youth sports level, he'd be wide open, he'd come back, he'd come into practice, he'd be making moves against Pac-12 guys, and he's not open anymore. He's like, this is a different ball game. Did you find that? 100%. Like, you there's um I, I can't even remember all the names, but we had some DBs that were played at Florida State, were first, second round picks in the NFL. Like it's those guys, their makeup speed is on a different level. So you you beat them, but they'd be right there. So it, it, you had to learn how to catch in traffic, and you didn't have that separation that you had in university. It was it was a totally different game that way. You have a favorite CFL game in your memory banks that you played? Was there one that's you know you you can go back if you could go back and and be in that moment again? Is there one game or one play, uh, Chris Bauman? Uh, might have been my last uh, playoff game in Hamilton. It was a tight game. We I think we took it overtime. I and I, I think I had maybe a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. I, it was just a big game. It was an important game. Made some big catches, and I think that's what really stands out for me. Chris, what are you doing now? I am working in corrections at the PCC here in Regina. Okay, so um, how does that? How does what you learn in the football field transfer over to life? Because we always talk about the game of football building uh, good men for the community. 
I think is is a teamwork, respecting people. Um, in the corrections, it's a lot of times you you have to rely on the people around you. So if you don't have that teamwork and that mentality, it, it can be a pretty um, dicey situation sometimes for you. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, let's get after it. Last uh, segment of the show, and we're joined by the color commentator on the Rough Riders Radio Network, Luke Molitor, joins us twice a week. Today he's joining us, I'm assuming, from home on the phone. Uh, Luke, are your Toronto make-me-laughs finally going to win a series? Wow, really? Make me laugh. I think that uh, we're going to get over the hump. Um, it was, you know, it, it was really nice to see the Maple Leafs on the end of a comeback where people, you know, Leafs fans would tune out. You know, for instance, I had switched over to the basketball game and my alerts go off, and you know, one call goes off the alert, and you're like, oh, well, at least we did, we kept fighting, and then all of a sudden, hey, the other, the other, within like six, five, and six minutes. All of a sudden, we're in the game. So um, I think that every everybody who's been following this team for life um, feels like, hey, listen, it's about time something like this happened to uh, for us, not to us. And uh, I think that uh, it feels like you got a real opportunity to get over the hump, get into the second round. Staying with hockey, Brad Marchand said his team's playing right now. I think they're losing to uh, Florida one nothing now. Uh, Brad Marchand shouldn't be uh, telling anybody anything about ethics, okay? But he was uh, saying how they shouldn't have it mic'd up between the benches because it's a privacy. You should you, you shouldn't be able to hear what uh, some of these guys are saying. For instance, Matthew Kachuk was calling one of the Bruins players saying something about his wife. It rhymes with s'more, and he was calling, you know, calling his wife a derogatory uh, name. Uh, Marchand yeah. said we should never be allowed to hear that. What do you think? I agree with them because I don't think people understand competitive sports, um, you know, that, that necessarily, uh, and the reason I say that is because, you know, um, again, the NHLers are no different than, than NFL, CFLers, Major League Baseball players, NBAers. They're one percenters. And, um, you know, one of the things that comes along with making it to that level is, is being able to not only deal with adversity and be mentally strong, but having to, uh, to, to lock out, uh, you know, trash talk at the most elite levels. You know, it makes and breaks certain players. If you're not mentally tough enough to to engage in, in something like that, you got to figure out ways to either block it out or avoid it altogether, right? So I think that, you know, when it comes to a conversation like that, and, you know, you, you never want to, uh, you never want to get that, uh, I think, personal. But uh, uh, but the reality of pro sports is, is, is these guys are paid a lot of money. There is a ton on the line, and guys are willing to say or do anything to get their opponent off their off their kilter, and uh, and it happens. And um, again, you know, some of the greatest players in in sports history are also, you know, some of the greatest trash talkers, right? And you could be a trash talker like KG was, Kevin Garnett, who like was would go on explicit filled rants in front of kids. Um, or you could be like Tim Duncan, who just sort of let all his his game do the talking, and he just he just hits you for forty points. So you know, athletes are no different uh, across the board when you're at that one percent pro level. So uh, I actually agree with Marshawn, you know, because a lot of it, you know, a lot of it, if you, if you don't understand pro sports and you don't understand what's actually going on on the mental side of things, you could get easily offended. And 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 Lord knows, in twenty twenty three. 
Um, you know, you, you don't want somebody who, who's looking for a reason to get offended and who doesn't understand the actual competitive level that these guys are playing. You don't want that person being able to uh, start a, a social media um you know, forest fire, yeah. if you will, just because of that. I remember back in the day, it was early, like it was, he was still a basketball player, I believe, Charles Barkley. Uh, they asked him on a talk show. It was one of those late night shows, like Carson or something. They said, do you have a gun? He said, of course I got a gun. I'm Charles Barkley, not some janitor. And then they asked yeah. him, then they asked him if he's, uh, if he considers himself a role model. He's like, no. He goes, I'm not a role yeah. model. Your dad and mom are role models. I'm not a role yeah. model. How do you feel like, is that a former athlete or why? Watching these guys, should they be? Should they consider themselves role models? I think that um, I think that being a role model as an athlete just just comes with the territory, whether you like it or not. Um, I agree with Charles Barkley, right? Um, uh, again, when you're a, when you're a one percenter, when when the chances of you making it to the Charles Barkley's level are like one in four million, your role model should be parents, good parents, good fathers, good mothers, doctors, lawyers. There's a lot, there's a lot better of an opportunity to go pro as a clinician and make a ton of money than there is to go pro as an athlete. So, you know, a lot of people that have been in that, those shoes agree like, yeah, you know what? Role models should be the teachers, the doctors, the lawyers, right? Unfortunately, we're vilifying those people uh, for some reason these days. And uh, right. But, but the other piece of that is because you're in the public eye, you're going to be scrutinized and therefore you're going to be in a role model position, whether you like it or not. Okay. So take, take championships out of it. Okay. Like take, I know championships are, are uh, career defining things. I'm just talking right. about performance, okay? Mm-hmm. Evander Kane did an interview, and yes, he's biased because he's teammates with the guy, but he said Connor McDavid is better at his sport than LeBron James ever was at his sport. Yeah, well, it's so hard to uh, to to compare um, elite play between those sports, right? You're looking at the NBA where you, where LeBron James is playing, you know, 47 minutes where you look at Connor Bedard, uh, sorry, um, Mc- Connor McDavid, yeah. you know, who's, who's, who's taking short shifts and out of a 60 minute game, what's, what's real, t- a ton of ice time considered. In 21, uh, if he had about 20, he, he actually averages 25 minutes, but so there you go. So, yeah. so roughly half of the game, LeBron James is playing, but, but if you compare that, you're like, Oh no, it's not even close. But then you look at, then you look at the, the, the impact that, you know, one has on the game when he's on the on the floor on the ice right and and so there's so many things i think that i think that we spend too much time looking for for comparables between the greatest athletes we've ever seen and not enough time enjoying it i, I you know i i'm a kobe guy you know that Bob. yeah me too I, 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 uh, but and, I, and i'll man i i still i feel like man he's since we lost Kobe, everything's just crumbled. yeah. The world went but, to he he died just before COVID. The world went to crap after Kobe uh, Kobe died. But the, the the problem is is that if if you're so stuck on being a Kobe fan, you've really missed 20 years of absolute greatness. LeBron James is one of the greatest facilitators mm-hmm. we've ever seen in any sport, um, and he's one of the top. He's he's the he's the number one scorer in the entire NBA's history, um, and it's just. You know, like we spend so much time trying to say, oh, this guy's better than this guy. You know, we're really going to miss LeBron James because the next guy, like name a guy after LeBron James that has a global impact that LeBron James does. Yeah, there is. There is. And even Steph Curry. So, you know, Connor McDavid, uh, I would say, I would say that honestly, LeBron James is 
um, is 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 above where Connor McDavid is. And the reason why I would say that, and, and you said it right, like you got to take championships mm-hmm. out of it. But you know, leadership is a big thing, right? And I think that you know, I think that a guy like LeBron James, um, on and off, and you got to and you got to consider. I mean, and man, you know what? To be honest, Connor McDavid is a little bit like this too. But LeBron James has been in the media eye his, since he was 16. Yeah. And, and, and he's played 21 years in the NBA at the top of the NBA, and there's never been one scandal. Like, this guy is a great person all around, basketball and, you know, philanthropy-wise. He's got a school. He's putting kids through college. Michael Jordan's investing in the prison systems, right? So, like, so, so, so when, you, when, you, when you look at the scope, you can find reasons why someone's better than the other. I just, I just would caution us because I really feel like this day and age we're, we're really missing out on I think Connor McDavid's special. I, I, I snipe him every chance I get because you're a huge fan of him, right? And I do mm. think that, you know, eventually people in the Edmonton Oilers just sort of fandom are going to have to realize, hey, like, at the end of the day, people might end up taking a guy like Jonathan Taves over Connor McDavid at the end because – Dave's has the, the championship. Yeah. Look at guys like, look at Steve Eiserman, look at Rod Brindamore, right? These are all guys that, that didn't enjoy as much star, elite stardom and attention as Connor McDavid is, but they'll go down as some of the greatest leaders in the NHL. So, so it's really perspective, but at the same time, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta really enjoy these guys while we got them. Hey, uh, our buddy, uh, Sean Kleisinger is over in England taking in premier league, uh, soccer. Nice, act. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I want to ask you this, is there something as a sports guy you haven't watched that you want, would be a bucket list thing for you like that is for him oh like live event yeah like live event yeah, he, yeah. i I'd, I'd i'd love to watch a hundred meter dash in the olympics oh that would be good I, I i just feel like the the entire like stadium is reverberating in anticipation and then it's over in like eight seconds nine seconds and you're just like i don't know man I, that's that's something i've always wanted to see and I, i've always kind of you know I, I i like zinger right like yeah. watching a premier league game and you know, I, I would like to watch LeBron James live before he, he calls it. I think he's got a couple more years, and, you know, we'll have an opportunity to do that. But, yeah, like, man, for some reason, I don't know, man. It's it's that 100-meter dash in the world, world in, in the Olympics. Well, you're right, because, like, because, because, like, let's say, like, uh, I don't even back to Ben Johnson. You weren't alive or whatever, but Ben, jo- ben Johnson, okay, like, or, or Donovan Bailey, he's there. It's loud. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's quiet before the gun and then the gun yeah. goes off and it just wow just loud it's, ultimate, it's like the ultimate storytelling it's, it's the ultimate like operatic song where there's like a like a build a crescendo and then just an explosion and then there's like a drop-off point right yeah so that and and you know what now that you mentioned it you know what else the final round of the masters when it's close i would love to see that oh yeah uh, and i'm not that i'm not as big a uh, guy for the masters i i probably I'd actually like to go to. I kind of would want to go to a Super Bowl just because I've been to so many great cups. Like, I'd like to be in a Super Bowl just to compare the two. I'd like to go myself for a whole week, go to the game, right. be at the game, just to see the difference between the two. Yeah. No, I agree with that, too. The Super Bowl would be fantastic, B, as well. Yeah. As long as the Cowboys are playing in it. We'll take <laughs> Cowboys Chargers. How about that? Never going to happen, but let's dream. Never going to happen, but let's dream. Hey, man, you thanks go. for your time. We'll see you in studio on Friday, okay? All right, man. Awesome. That's a Luke Mullender, the color commentator on the Rough Riders Radio Network. That's going to do it for the show. Tomorrow we're going to, we are endeavoring, it's got to dot the I's and cross the T's. We are going to be coming to you live from the Regina Ram Sportsman's Dinner. Um, Blaine will be back here. I'll be on location as uh, we uh, 
Talk about the pros. Rams in the pros. Mitch Pickton will be there. Jorgen Hughes will be there. Tavon Campbell will be there. He's in the NFL with the Jags. Darren Churchill with the Argonauts. And our own Trevor Harris will be live on location down there at the Rams dinner. This has been the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. We'll talk to you tomorrow.